Okay, we're gonna. Cool. All right, let's get started. So, Cheerful Sound Man Podcast, episode three, two. I felt bad because I hadn't listened to the second one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you didn't listen to the first one. Sorry. Right. The, <laughs> the first one. Yeah. All right. So this is Cheerful Sound Man podcast, and I'm Eric Linus Blunt, the Cheerful Sound Man. And with me in the Juniverse Studios here is BJ Courtney. Say, hey, BJ. What's up, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> Practicing his very white voice and fixing some sound. And today we have a very special guest all the way from Chicago, Illinois. I don't know what that was, but Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. And that's, uh, how we, that's how we say it. That's how you say it. No, it's not. Great. This is Matt Radabaugh. He's actually from Gainesville initially, old friend uh, and co-worker. And getting to hang out with him tonight and we'll have some good, good chatting about uh, the world of theater sound and uh, and theater great. sound mixing. So we should get some good gems tonight. Hello. There we go. <laughs> so before we get started, I'll do a quick recap. So um, the purpose of the podcast is really to um, provide value to production professionals, uh, people aspiring to be production professionals, sound folks, uh, so audio engineers, lighting designers, um, pipe and drink te- technicians, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just all the different things that go with events. And then also uh, a big part is to um, help bridge some of the gaps between the clients that we serve, so the event planners, uh, promoters, project managers, and the technical side of things and uh, production companies and that sort of thing. Um, So hopefully we do some of that, and um, we're also trying to answer questions as people pose them as well. Um, So we'll dive on in today. I'm very excited to have you here, Matthew. Thanks, man. I'm excited to be here. He's been talking about you all week, Matt. I was was very excited. BJ felt... uh, BJ felt slighted there. Thanks you know. for uh, making this happen. Yeah. Thanks for accommodating us. Yeah, it's completely <laughs> last minute, uh, 930 at night podcast because it was the time that worked and we're happy to have you. So um, we'll dive right into it. Um, Matt, tell us what you do up in Chicago though. I am the assistant audio on uh, Hamilton, the musical in Chicago, the Chicago sit-down version of Hamilton. The Hamilton, the one that's the very popular. The Hamilton, the popular Lin-Manuel Miranda, Alex Lackmore, Hamilton, the musical. Okay, and so you said you're A2 on that. I'm what is uh, what is A2 on a musical entail? So assistant case? audio, I uh, assist the A1 um, in whatever they need. Mainly I build microphone rigs, so coloring, um, fitting individual rigs. We actually make these special ones for Hamilton that they're um, – Half of the half of the cast get these ear rigs that we bend by hand with this this stainless steel that I found that like is uh, sprung steel, so that <clears throat> after you make it, you can take the mic on and off, and the steel uh, it never goes bad. So the mic mm-hmm. you can cut off of it and put a new mic on because we use like DPA forty sixty ones that are basically so you just dispos- chop up they're DPA disposable. Mics, you know? Well, they're disposable. Yeah. I mean, after a while, one of these mics goes right. bad. Um, but the blanks we make, um, and then we take, uh, this is so crazy. I'm sorry. I can't like show it to you, but we take fly fishing line and a little fly fishing lure tool and actually tie the mics on to this metal wire. Hmm. And that way it's like as small, low profile as possible. So anyways, I build those all the time because we have constant new cast members, like new people coming to the show. How many cast members do you mic up? Um, there are. Uh, 20-something, maybe 30 people in the show because we have a bunch of swings, a bunch of people who are like standbys. So we have the people on stage and they have people backstage like waiting for something to go wrong. 
to like jump wow. in there and do it. So everyone's got their own individual mic rig. Everything's customized, and then everyone's got spares. We got spares out the wazoo because it's all you know live mm -hmm. action. Something goes wrong, you got to fix it right then and there, and you have something ready to go. So, anyways, my job is to either when I'm backstage, I'm building new mic rigs, building spares. <clears throat> During the show, I'm listening to everyone like before they go on so like you have a big patch bay with a listening station and you sit there before every scene and you watch their rf meter and you listen to make sure there's no sweat no makeup you know the mic didn't fly off their face or something wow. like that um the battery strength's good rf is not having inner mods something like that um and then i also mix the show three three or more times a week depending so and that's a whole other thing there mixing a musical yeah i'm sure we'll get into <laughs> yeah yeah i actually came and visited you how many years ago was that now maybe three four years ago at uh when you were you were uh, a1 you were mixing book of mormon musical the tour right and that uh, was 2014 15? it's been a few years yeah. yeah it was at the moran up in jacksonville and uh it was no the times times union, times union. Yeah, yeah yeah so I went to visit and you had invited me, which was awesome. I was super grateful. And uh, then I think when I was headed up, you're like, so they said no seat kills after all. The production <laughs> manager's in kind of a, yeah. in a in a bit of a tizzy about the <laughs> amount of seat kills. I can't have you in front of house. You could sit in the booth. And yeah. so I sat in the booth, which was totally cool. It was fun. And then <laughs> we had a beer afterwards. It was not great. as good of an experience. <laughs> not as good of an experience, yeah. but it was, uh, it was super fun. And it was cool to hear you mix and... Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll get there. I don't there think I screwed bit, anything up that that show. No, and it was a great show, and it made me laugh so hard. Yeah, it was a really funny show. I highly recommend it. You know, even though you're not mixing it anymore, it might be coming to the Phillips Center actually. Really, the next year here. Interesting. Yeah, the Phillips Center here in Gainesville. Yeah, cool. So, uh, back to what you do. So you, so it's kind of a mix of RF, mic, basically everything backstage, everything involving yeah. microphones mm -hmm. on stage. Uh, fixing problems or addressing problems and then i put out fires it's like that's okay. the a2's job and, and i also presume you communicate that <coughs> with front of house yeah um if we, there is a switch or a problem or do you actually physically like change a patch over we, there are hard patches and stuff you do it just it all depends on what happens if something goes wrong generally we have a ton of spare wireless mm -hmm. so i'll just put a spare mic on a spare wireless and just repatch and just it's just easier than sussing out the problem if you're like oh is it the mic is it the pack just switch it just all switch out. It out. Yeah, yeah, screw it. We have it all. Yeah, so. exactly. So we do a that lot of that. Musical isn't exactly uh, hurting for. Uh, no, we have for tons funds. of money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> does, does things go wrong often? Like how often uh, does things like really oh, that's go? That's a good question. You know, we have we have a really good system in place. When a show, when you first start a show out somewhere or a tour or whatever, things start things break. Then you learn like, okay, this guy, he's bad with his mic. Yeah, and he's. He's gonna. Yeah. He's, he's rough on the connection. Right. So or, like, yeah. watch out for him, or like, get a different place because they they wear them on their mm -hmm. bodies. They wear the packs. Right. <clears throat> so we like work on work on that. Right now, it's pretty much smooth sailing. We also deal with the pit, of course, and a lot of the problems we have arise from Ableton and um, main stage. So Ableton, we have a ton of tracks running, mm -hmm. and uh, main stages are our keyboards. And like, though technically it's not. Sounds job. It's the musicians slash props is actually in charge of that. <laughs> weirdly enough, in our union, um, but props doesn't go down there, which is great. Um, <laughs> and we have to go basically turn it off and on all the time. Yeah, that's the only way to fix. You piqued my interest. Ableton. You said yeah. Ableton and yeah. main stage. Yeah. You got to. Can turn I ask another on. question? Sure. 
What system are you running? I mean, I know you're running Apple, but I mean, what do you? What in particular are you guys running? Are to you run running Mac Minis or? Yeah, they're Mac Minis. Okay. So like a slew of those. Each so <clears throat> each keyboard has a has two two brains, two uh, main stages, oh, a, wow. a, a main and a backup, which is all switchable. So it's, it's a video and an audio switch we have, so that you can see the screen and audio changes. Yeah. So each one. So like if something goes wrong, it's not an auto <laughs> switch. They have to manually switch over. But same with um, the uh, Ableton stuff. It's all everything's redundant. Theater yeah. is like we have to make it work. Please make it work. <laughs> so everything. You know, I don't know if you, how many problems you guys have with Ableton or any of that stuff, but it's problematic. Yeah. So because we're running, it's like a lot of tracks are running at once. It's not vocals. It's just like each song has like sound effects and like we also they we, they also send MIDI to to us, oh, which yeah, fires our, our. Wait, so are <coughs> the sound effects run from the pit or is that fired? So as that an audio is cue? everywhere. So okay. we fire some, um, we, and we use um, uh, what's it called? I don't know why I'm blanking on this. Not SFX. Is it uh, QLab? Yeah, I don't know why I couldn't think of that. So, anyways, um, our QLab. So we get MIDI from the pit. Mm-hmm. So they fire. Uh, their Ableton fires MIDI to us, which we um, then fire off. Actually, we don't. It's not manual. It's all uh, automated through MIDI control. All the sound effects come from us, but they fire them. Gotcha. Some sound effects we fire manually on cues on the console, like a, okay. just a console cue. But it's so it's also probably <coughs> things that you have to have a visual on. Is that, that or like that it's or? just a timing thing? Yeah. Or okay. I don't know why some of it's ours and some of it's theirs. I'm not entirely sure because all of it could be on them. I can't fire some of them. Some of them just just happen are in, within in a track. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and like we and but they also fire MIDI to lighting, which triggers all kinds of lighting stuff that happens. So there's a song called Satisfied that he takes a cue, the guy in the pit, the percussion player. And that fires uh, a, a playback track that's like a repeated vocals that like says rewind, rewind, rewind. And also all of the lighting goes in a big circle. So if that gets fired at the wrong time, all of this happens. <laughs> Regardless. And there's no stopping it. So but. there is, for us, I can stop the sound. There's right. a QLab silence macro on the console. I hit that. But the lighting Lights still goes <laughs> until he can get out of that cue. Oh, man. <clears throat> So that's this happens. Yeah, <laughs> this is one of the things that happens if you have like a, a sub percussion player, or even at the at, we can. There's all these fail safe things with the console too. Like he fires that cue, the percussion player, and I fire a cue that happens right after he does. So if I don't wait for him, then I f- it it's like a fail safe thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there's a lot of weird redundant things. Like if he misses a cue, I can take the cue. But if he takes a cue, it skips it on my console, gotcha. so that I don't it don't we don't double take the cue or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So there's That's a cool. lot of that. Yeah, there's a ton of redundancy. I mean, consoles are all redundant. Our cue labs redundant. There's two of everything almost. So like with the mics we build, there's two of those. Well, I was going to ask you on your console rig. So I'm I'm guessing your Digico yeah. front house. Yeah. SC seven. Okay, SC seven. And then do you have another one at monitor position or what? Do you, what's we have an SD ten RE. So it's just a brain. Okay. With a you know computer screen. Yeah, so sharing pre's and everything. Yeah. And then so does that allow you if there's a problem with the front of house console that would allow like you could run off of that? No. It's no. it's that can only that doesn't have enough 
io to do gotcha um yeah. to do that and manually I, there's no console so it'd be it'd be very difficult to mix a show from uh, a well, sc10re yeah. um god even thinking about that it's terrifying <laughs> I bet, man. well that one's smaller right it only has like 12 no, it has. Faders it, or like that. Well, uh, we do have a fader board for it. We have a, We do have okay. a little surface for it, but it's just the brain. So. <coughs> and is that for your monitoring rig? Yeah, back we use there? for uh for our uh, Avion system. Oh, for the pit. It's just for Avions. Oh, yeah. So we okay. we we share all the the band pre's, and then we do some subgroups for vocals and sound effects and things like that. So that on their Avions. So do you have a redundant SD7? Well, the SD7 is two engines, so it's a redundancy yeah, within oh. itself. So, it so yeah, and that is an auto switch. So they run, we mirror them, mm -hmm. the, the two consoles together. So if you're on Q55 on A, B is also on Q55, and if A crashes, it switches audio and the surface to B. Hopefully, <laughs> have you had that happen? He said hopefully. <laughs> well, uh, not on the. Well, actually. Recently, I had the A console, so there's a surface, which is what you're looking at, and then audio processing. So you can be looking at B, but audio passing through A, mm -hmm. <coughs> because it's a manual switch for that, unless it auto does it if something goes wrong. But I've had the surface reset itself, which all of a sudden your faders go down, everything goes blue. But it's still passing it's audio. It's still passing audio, but yeah. it's like, it's, it's trying to figure something out, and you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, so I switched to B, and then you're fine. But I've had consoles <laughs> fail. I've had. I'm like controlling my faders now. Yeah, well, <laughs> like you're mixing a book scene, which is, you know, every mic in a book scene, you're literally bringing everyone up and down as they're talking. Right before they talk, you bring the mic up as soon as they're done. So it's like you're in a busy scene and everything dumps to zero or to infinity. You're like, okay, <laughs> please <laughs> hope everybody's come up. back. Yeah. <laughs> I, on Book of Mormon, though, I had um, the console fail several times um, on older versions of it when it had less uh, RAM processing speed, stuff like that. The mm -hmm. old ones, the SD7 came out, it only had two gigs of RAM and two gigs of SSD hard drive space. So you, sh you save these, uh, these session files for the console, like the show files are huge because you have, you know, yeah, 300 cubes. Yeah, yeah. And like every, there's like, you know, 100 ins and outs, more than that. <coughs> so they're big. And if you don't like manually like delete these things, even if it doesn't tell you it's running out of space, it used to do this thing where like one of the two engines would just start spinning, looking for something somewhere to write. And it should just they're sh they're supposed to be separate, right? Mm -hmm. Like one should not affect the other, but this n did not used to be the case. Oof. So B would fail. You're not looking at B because you're on the A surface, and all of a sudden. Your faders would change what they said. Would they would either be plus twenty of position or neg twenty of position? And it was never neg twenty. It was always plus twenty. Oh gosh! So, so all your mics just crank. Everything <laughs> is at full. You have full digital distortion coming out of your console. Oh, so man. we didn't know at first. You don't know. You just hear it's like what? We were in L.A. Whoa, and it geez. was like you have a massive console. All the amps like you're not. You know, everything's yeah. at full. That's so, crazy. you know, you stop the show. It's terrifying because it's the loudest sound you've ever heard in your life. And people are literally standing up like it's his hair. Yeah, back seriously. Like, it's very loud. Um, and then you have to like go, OK, now what do I do? You stop the show. You, you know, 
you oh, delete man. some stuff, you figure it out, you go to one engine or the other, you you un unmirror them oh, is actually the, what you had to do to fix well, that. Well, a whole bunch of antsy patrons are all around. Everyone's you in like, front of what house? what is going on? And you know, the phones, you know, your uh, yeah. your comm phone is ringing. You're like, hello. You're like, uh huh. Give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm I, aware there's yeah. an issue. Like, Thank you. Oh, you heard a loud noise too. Cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really, really loud. Um, um but that mm. happened. <laughs> it's mayhem over here. Yeah. I don't know how oh, you are. Really? <laughs> Everything's going fine. Yeah. That happened again, actually, and I knew what to do. So I brought up some faders in this one book scene where the people just talking on stage, and it was just like, Wah! screaming loud. I'm like, okay, bring everything down. And then I un you can unmirror the engines so they're not looking at each other. I unmirrored the engines um, and then slowly brought up the faders to see if it was working, and it did. But for a minute, I had to mix at neg 60. Oh. I just you brought know, everyone barely, up. I barely like, touching them in. Yeah, because if you had a little hair above that, it just went. Oh my god! It go it's zero crazy. to hundred. It was crazy. <laughs> so, anyways, that issue seems to have worked itself out. And you still have a great full head of hair back. <laughs> well, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. I don't know if the lighting's saying anything different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that it, the, I, the, uh, that's one of the things. One of the times in my career where it was, I don't think I was gonna get fired because it was my fault, but it was. Stopping the show is terrible. Like you don't yeah. want to be the one because yeah. at the end yeah, of the show, there's a show the report worst. that you know producers get. Everyone gets that show report. You don't want to be the one. Like show stop because of sound. And it's not yeah. you know People phone calls. Calling the box office asking yeah. for money back. And well, that's always like that. in L yeah. when that happened in L A. Of course, it was L A. that happened, and everyone sues everyone in L A. They try to sue the show. It's hilarious. That's I mean, crazy. I mean, they don't <laughs> think they got anything, but yeah. Gosh, so one of my questions for you today actually was uh, what was like your one of your scariest or worst <laughs> moments in theatrical mixing, and we just we just went ahead and got there yeah. without even uh, asking the question. That's those, funny. Those were, you know, I've had other. Are, they're getting glassy. I've had other moments. I had yeah. a moment. He's going distant here. Yeah, he's, he's I mean, those are. I mean, you're. Yeah, that's that's scary. Every like a lot of things have to fall into a place mm -hmm. for a musical, any show really, to like to go well. Right. <clears throat> and you're relying on that, like you, you're not thinking about all of the minutia. You're just trying to be in the moment, mixing the show, mm -hmm. and when all of that goes awry, it's it's just. And then you've got like it's it's basically fight or flight yeah. mode where you're just you're like, like, oh crap, fix, fix, I can either fix, try fix. to solve this or I kind of want to just crawl under the console and die <laughs> right now. Want to do that? Yeah. Ha and uh, I'm again Book of Mormon. I had a lot of <laughs> not a lot, but enough in uh, Seattle. Um, they changed these two characters in this one spooky moment in Hell Dream, this one song. These two characters, they changed who said what. Mm. So the way it's programmed, like I bring up this guy, he talks. I bring up this guy, he know. talks. Well, they didn't tell me that they <laughs> changed it. And I for what like maybe two shows, and I was like, did I miss that? Because it's so fast. It's one word, one word. And I was like, what the? And then I went up to the stage management before the show, and I was like, did, did this change? Because it never does. No one ever does this. And they're like, oh, yeah, we, we, this guy says this now. And I'm like, oh, hello, I need to know that. And they're like, oh, right. So I run up to the console, and I like pre reprogram the little scene. And there's this thing on the SD7. It's called Ripple Down. Do you know about Ripple Down? Is it basically like populate all yes. sort of thing? You always turn off Ripple Down. Yeah. You always I know about it. this. Avid has similar <laughs> yeah. on the It's a terrifying thing. I don't know who yeah. uses it. I'm sure there's use for it. Sure. Oh, well, if you change like if you change a particular scoped thing like uh, like a head amp, 
that particular day or like you change actors and you just got to change the parameters of that mic and you want it to populate through all the scenes. Yeah. I've had that where that makes a lot of sense. That makes that. in programming. Yes. Yes. But it's it when you when you bring up that screen, it's always on first. No, it should always being, be off first. I for think sure. So. <laughs> I think so. We're on agreement there. Yeah. Didn't turn that off. So it like oh, just turn on a like turn on those two mics throughout the oh my God. their mics are not on to those faders anyway. So that just sort of feedback and I was like I was like I knew immediately immediately I knew what I'd done. And I'm trying to save the scene, and I'm trying to mute it, but there's a million cues, and it just keeps popping up and feeding back. And I was like, I just brought the faders down, called called the stage manager. I'm like, we got to stop the show. Oh. <clears throat> and my A2 ran out. I was like, what's going on? I'm like, I screwed up. <laughs> screwed <laughs> oh up real gosh. good. And, you know, then I was able to reprogram it quickly, and we started again. But, you know, getting that phone call afterwards, like, what happened? I'm like, oh. What did you say? Did you well, I just it? did something. Did yeah, no, it? of course. Yeah. You know, I mean, I did something in a hurry um, because someone kind of forgot to do their job. But you know what? It was my fault yeah. because I totally screwed you it up. You still screwed it up. Yeah. And like, I stopped the show. I did it one time, I think, on purpose. Not on purpose. <laughs> it wasn't Wait, on purpose. It wasn't on purpose. <laughs> tell us about the accidental time you stopped it. So, yeah. interestingly, so this is kind of a big thing for me, and I think it's a good takeaway for everyone in this industry. Like, stuff happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Stuff really happens. And a lot of times, it's your fault. Yeah. And the, I, I will tell you, one of the biggest turnoffs to me is when I work with people who won't just say, I'm so sorry. I screwed that up, but when they kind of backtrack or try to blame other things or other people, like you could have blamed the stage manager in that situation. Sure. Um, they didn't program the console. But you screwed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they put you in an awkward situation where you were reprogramming last minute, but you screwed it up. Sure. And uh, I just think it's really important, and I think that's a big value or takeaway for people listening. It's well, then you can move on. That's the other thing. Yeah. That show business – just doesn't stop when the show's over like it just keeps going and going and going like i don't want to talk about <clears throat> i don't want to have to defend like or whatever over and over again it's just easy or lie or whatever you have to do to right, right. whatever just yeah i screwed it's the same up face you go, yeah no, i screwed right. up what happened oh yeah. i screwed up people like will on... stop then that's the other yeah. thing conversation is over no one's mm-hmm. trying to get to the bottom of it the bottom of it is there and then you can move yeah. on with your life I, I didn't uncheck this checkbox yeah, and yeah. it screwed everything up. When I said and to I the designer, so ripple down, he goes, oh. <laughs> <laughs> because you're up. not the only person yeah, who's no, been boned by that. This definitely yeah. happened several times, and I've been warned about it so many times. Yeah, but you still miss it. And, well, and I've done it, stuff. so I've done not quite as bad or quite as detrimental, but I have spent, so festival-style band mixing, I've spent a whole bunch of time mixing down a band, get their sound check all perfect, and then I forget to save the scene mm-hmm. or I like I mess up the save as or whatever. Right. And then or I recall the wrong scene. And once you recall the wrong scene and they run a whole song and they're you're like uh, adjusting on the fly, you're not going to then again no, no. recall back to their sound check scene. That's where you are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I can tell you I've been in that. I've put myself in that situation at least five times. Yeah. And. Several of those times I've had conversations with the band afterwards where they're like, what happened to our monitor mix? And I'm like, I screwed it up. I'm really sorry. And I will tell you, every time I've done that, I've gotten, oh, man, yeah, it sucked, man. We got to figure out how not to do that. But I got 
like positive human responses. Yeah. Right. When I've watched other people do the opposite, where they get defensive or they yell and they like, oh, I didn't do that. That was you guys. Oh, we didn't change anything. And everybody knows that something was screwed up. Well, as soon as you're yelling, it's already the wrong answer. Exactly. Whether you're right or wrong. It's like, not going to help. <laughs> no, one, no one cares at that point. Anyways. I love you for that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's just never going to get you anywhere. And unfortunately, that is a common response. Sure. And that's one thing that like I'm really like with our team really trying to coach and and like the best approach is to go ahead own it don't let people like tear you down and abuse you about it but own it work to fix it and move forward and that's all you really can do and sometimes you'll get fired over stuff or not hired back the next year we've had a couple festivals that we screwed up bad i i will fully admit we screwed up one in the fall just bad (laughs) it was thing after thing you know no one all of our guys were had the best intent and were working their butts off, but we just uh, some of it was on my end. I messed up a couple <clears throat> things on the prep side of things that actually went to the show. Basically, wrong gear went to the show. Uh, console was crashing. We just had oh, like man. we had one in the fall that was just the perfect storm. We will never get hired back to this thing again, nor should we. They have they they would be fools to hire <laughs> us. Again. We would never do that again. But they don't know that, right? <laughs> but they you know it's just absolutely not right. All I could do was apologize sure. and say, yes, we screwed up 10 different ways. I'm sorry. I gave some money back and said, I'm really sorry. Please accept that as an apology. Um, and I totally understand. You probably never want to see my face <laughs> or hear from me again. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. And so That's good policy, though. But for me, I can sleep at night. And sure. I didn't try to blame it on other people. Sure. Because, honestly, if I would have done all that and gone a negative route, they still would have not hired me back next right. year. Yeah. And now they think I'm a jerk as well as sucking. So, <laughs> and then you have to deal with that too as well, like person on the inside of yourself. You have to deal with that. No one. I mean, even if you do get away with the excuse, you still have to deal with yourself on the inside. You know, that means a lot. It's kind of what you're yeah. saying. Like, like, let I it go. You can this. move forward. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. I'm. I know. I was shitty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It happens. Yeah. I've had some nights where my mix sounded terrible. Yeah. It wasn't the like. Yes. Sir. So for me, the other thing is. Never taking like never taking a rep off, you know, never taking a night off and like just phoning it in because I can sleep well at night knowing that I had a bad night if I actually went out and put my and prepared as best as I could and put my best effort forward. The times that I really end up like beating myself up about it afterwards and um, which doesn't last long. I have good self-confidence, but (laughs) the times that I actually do beat myself up about it is the times I go, ah. yeah, I didn't spend enough time preparing or I didn't spend enough time working on my show file or, yeah, I really should have had this piece of information or we should have gotten there an hour early. Those are the times that I beat myself up because I'm like, ah, oh, it really didn't have yeah. to be as hard as we made it. Um, well, that being said, prep is like 90% of at least Broadway. Like mm-hmm. prep is everything. We get there early. We check everything a thousand times. Like you do your homework. Do mm-hmm. your homework. That's the only thing I could ever say for yeah. – for what we do to mix a show you you practice so many times before you get a real crack at it you know unless you're doing the production mix of a show but it's like like what you're saying like getting there early being on time your show file your homework mm-hmm. do your homework and then you'll feel good whether you had a good show or not you know like you're gonna have bad shows that's yeah. the other thing you, everyone has a bad day you just had a bad day in front of thousands of people well, you, know. you guys had a show the other night where the band's in-ear split that they brought, like oh. they had all sorts of just tech issues where these guys were working hard and some of them probably could have been prevented. It was just a hard day. And it it was a up. very difficult. You know what was funny about that? 
it seemed like it was going to be one of the easiest days. Oh God, you look at the... And you guys were prepared. We go down the list, yeah. We were prepared, but we're like, oh, this is going to be a smooth sailing day. And everything happened. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Every little thing happened. But the best you guys could do, because I, I drove down and checked yeah, on you guys. Did, yeah. And you guys did the best you could with the hand you were dealt. And yeah. worked through it and worked hard and, you know, kept going. And there were definitely things that could have been better yeah. with the show, but... In the end, there was a show. In that particular case, the patrons drank a lot of booze and had a good time. So it was all yeah, good. and stole my bag. No, they what? really didn't. They grabbed my bag by mistake, <laughs> so I had to ride down. <laughs> so yeah. and get my bag. Everything went wrong, man. Man, that is everything that is everything wrong. right there. That, everything literally. This computer bag gone. All my hard drives. Yeah. I'm I'm it's freaking like, out. I'm like, gone. they're gone. Really? still gone right now. Oh no, I haven't. No, oh, okay. no he drove the table. Yeah, it worked oh, out. No, got it. Okay. All right, so we're some <laughs> redeeming thing. So that's crazy. a big one, and we've just been kind of harping on that even the last couple episodes is preparation. And as I mentioned last episode, we've been, um, as a company, as Bunt Backline, we've been um, really working towards, first of all, extracting information more from clients. And you probably deal with this some from even producers and stage managers and so forth. Like a lot of times they either don't give you all the information or don't have all the information, one of the two. And you have to just kind of keep, extracting keep going at it and that's been a big push for us in this last year is really just getting as much detailed information as we possibly can so we can walk in as prepared as possible and then execute as best as we possibly can i imagine it's pretty scattered for for your i mean you got a lot of people involved to get the information from it's usually not one person who has everything yeah a lot of times the planners are at least three four channels yeah Mm -hmm. and the planners are not always professional like that's not necessarily what they do all day every day so sometimes it's uh you know sally from marketing that's you know coordinating this particular (laughs) event and so sometimes it's that we have to help her and educate her of like these are the things that we need to know and then sometimes it's just a matter of some people are more organized than others and don't get you all the actual information even if you ask them 25 times and uh, so we've been encouraging our guys to bug us more so that we bug our clients more about it, too. Um, but it's it's really interesting just how much that, like, information gathering and preparation just changes everything. And it's one of those things, like, once you say it, you're like, well, duh, of course it does. <laughs> but, you know, I admittedly was fairly seat of the pants for many years. And as I've gotten better at those preparation elements, we've gone from, like, okay, they do a good job to, like, whoa, okay, they were early and – they brought extra stuff and they had backups and so forth. And uh, you mean you don't bring like if your show requires like six 25 foot XLRs, you don't bring <laughs> six 25 foot XLRs? I have a feeling we're talking about something in particular <laughs> that Matt and I have a mutual history. experience with, but we won't, uh, we Sounds won't like go history. into name dropping there. But yes, so and some of it for me is part of how I came up and learned was. Uh, was that school of thought yeah. of bringing well, you're exactly the, and the end user gets screwed by all that anyways. For, and I'm going, wait, hold on, no, no. They're, yes, they're only paying for six XLR cables, but I'm going to bring 24 of them. Yeah. Because there's a good chance that it's actually five feet more cable run than, than we thought on the stage. Um, so, yeah. That's cool. nice or if you, grew up, if you grew up like I grew up, in a church, and we didn't buy things often, and we always ran into bad stuff. Like, bad cables used to kill everything. Someone would be in the middle of a song, you just hear, out of nowhere. Like, cables. For the show um, that we did at the Hilton, mm-hmm. the setup at the Hilton, ran into a bad cable. So, 
You know, it felt good because I think that was overkill, honestly. Like, oh, what we had, all the things that we had, everything. Yeah. But it felt good to know, like, all right, cool, we have more than enough stands if we need to exchange something, cables. Mm-hmm. Cable went bad, you know, found a bad cable. It's just like, oh, grab another one. It and it's funny, when I started, I cheaped out, and I got a bunch of, there were Whirlwind brand cables, but they were, like, some cheap version, <laughs> and I bought tons of them. Oh. And I swear, every show, we had a bum cable. And then finally, I was like, get rid of all of them, they're done. <laughs> yeah. And I started buying just, uh, not even fancy, just, like, Rapco cables with Neutrid connectors. And we have had almost zero cable failures ever since. Yeah. And I'm just like, knock on something. this is really wooden. Dumb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, there, I, there I just thought go. immediately, I'm like, as soon as I, I kind of... Realized, I was like, okay, there are certain things you should never buy the cheap. Very true. A cable cables is are definitely one it's of at them. the top of the list. Don't ever buy cheap cables because oh I would spend half of gigs running around like, why is that such low volume or why isn't it getting phantom power or whatever? And it was always the leg on an it's XLR always, it's cable. Like, it's almost always and it a was dumb cable. so dumb. Yeah. And once I switched to <clears> just <throat> decent cables from a good manufacturer, I mean, they're still only. Dollars each or something. Yeah. It's not like they're breaking the bank, you know. Yeah. And uh, rather than paying eight dollars each, and instead I go through <laughs> one of them. You know what I mean? Like it's this weird. You just go, okay. That's I need to worth pay four dollars. It is worth not four dollars to, to not run around. Every show you do, looking like I would an love idiot. that. Yeah. yeah, scrambling sucks. No one yeah. likes to do it, and you always look like an idiot. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so, so here's a question for you. Um, how? So I know. You know, you're, I know your background, so actually tell us a little bit about your background as far as coming from Gainesville here. You were a Gainesville native. I, lived, I grew up in Gainesville. Um, I went to Santa Fe Community College for quite some time. <laughs> like longer than an average community college trip. Yeah. Much longer than anyone should go <laughs> to college, unless you did, and, and that's good, everyone. That's good for you. Um <laughs> But you don't have to hedge. He uh, was, uh, he I was didn't, in community college. I didn't know what I was doing. Years. I had no idea <laughs> what I was doing, and I played in bands, and I had a Tascam 424, and I would record my terrible bands or just noodling with a guitar. And uh, I lived in a little apartment complex, and my neighbor was a stage manager at the Phillips Center. And she heard us playing music all the time. And Shout they, out to Sarah. Sarah, thank you very much. You changed my life forever <laughs> and ever. Um, She's like, do you need a job? And yes, this is always the answer back then. Yeah. <laughs> and so I went to Phillips Center and uh, started working there as a, what do they call it? Tech? What are they? Production technician. That's what it was. Like I was a production technician. And I took everyone's <coughs> hours that I could possibly get, and I eventually became the assistant audio there. And then I did that. Worked there for four years. A show came through. Uh, producers were these two sound guys were not a good team and they were kind of sabotaging each other <laughs> and so i fixed some gear like that they had and the production manager happened to see this thank god or whoever you want to thank for that and he goes do you have a resume and i didn't because <laughs> i never had one so i went because yeah, i'm the, still in community college yeah so and i was like <laughs> what, what am i doing yeah. i went to the production office and i wrote like goes to community college on a piece of paper <laughs> plugs in mics you're kidding uh, man yeah. no it was it wasn't it, it wasn't I much better it wasn't that. very good it like i like looked up i googled resume and then anyways um and then a month later i uh was on the rent tour 2007 2008 which was a bus and truck tour um meaning you live on a bus you have a bunk 
Um, bottom driver's side rear is my bunk, favorite bunk. You got the generator right underneath you, so whether you're stopped, you're going. It's like white, white noise. noise. Yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. It's awesome. And less rocking. Lower you are on the bus, the bus doesn't do this. Yeah, now, if he drives was... on the rumble strips like our driver did quite <coughs> often, then that'll keep you up. Anyways, <laughs> but I did that. I mean, uh, so that we did a lot of one-nighters on that tour, meaning like we had four semis full of stuff. We'd roll in at 8 a.m., load the thing in, do a sound check, do a show, load it out, put it back in the truck, get back in the bus, wake up in the next city. Jeez. Rinse and repeat. Uh, theater boot camp. So it wasn't all one-nighters, but we did stretches of one-nighters. Mm. We had, I think, 26 in, in a go one That's time. That's certainly was the a most. man's game, for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I only had to do one of those uh, after that. It was for uh, Brian Ronan was the sound designer for that. He asked me and Louis Igo, who was the A1, if we wanted to do Grease, the musical, afterwards. And after that one, get our union cards, which is always yes. For doing theater, you want a union. It's, like, it's literally the only way to do like big theater on the road or on Broadway anyways so we did that and then so I did Greece um, I moved to New York I did some design stuff in Chicago on a show called White Noise I did some design on the Les Mis tour um, and was their advance guy I did bring it on the tour and then bring it on on Broadway um, these are all A2. Did you do Bring It On Again is the real question? I did not bring yeah. it on. I did, okay. I, it had already been brought. And okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can I, only bring it so many it's times. It's only so many times you can bring it, man. Yeah. I don't know what to tell Fair you. Fair enough. And then, so I left Broadway, uh, Bring It On Broadway, to go do Book of Mormon in Chicago. We were there for 10 months, and then I toured with that for two more years as the A1. And then I left that, and now Hamilton. So, so how do you end up getting the Hamilton gig? Um, so one of my best friends, uh, Mike Farfalla, who's like done a bunch of Broadway and toured. We've done a bunch of shows together. Is so he a designer or? He's uh, a, well, he does design, but he's a, he's an engineer. Okay. Uh, he like taught me, um, him and Louis Igo taught me how to mix a Broadway musical. Like those guys are awesome. And uh, so we have done, he was production on Grease. He was the, he was the mixer of it on Broadway. So that's how we met years ago. Um, actually we met on rent because he was one of Brian's guys. Anyways, <clears throat> we did bring it on together. Then we did book of Mormon together. And then when this came up, he's like, do you want to do Hamilton? I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> let's only do that. the most popular show in the world. Right? Yeah. Right. But I didn't so know at that time. Was it only New York that was, was running? And then yes. once you guys the second showing. Yes. The second and then the tour came afterwards. Um, with the first tour, there's two tours in San Francisco now, so it's it's a beast. There's two tours and it hasn't wow. opened. It's open in like four or five more cities now, hasn't it? It's London, New York, Chicago, Puerto Rico happened for three weeks. That one is moving to San Francisco, or it is already there. So San okay. Francisco is sitting down, and then there's two tours. Okay, it's an unstoppable, seemingly unstoppable beast. I'm gonna have to come to Chicago. And you should uh, come see it. I would. See it. You could sit at the console this time, please. Can I? Like yeah. A big boy? Yeah. I'll let you mix burn. It's a one. It's a. It's a one mic song. Come on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, I mixed the Hamilton. Song. No, I had never. Um, I'd never met Nevin uh, Steinberg, who's the designer for uh, Hamilton. So I went and like had a meeting with him um, at a. Um, it was, it was in Boston. He was like, can you come, can be in New York tomorrow? I'm like, yes. And <laughs> so I, I took the train in, and he's like, meet me at, um, uh, what is that theater? It's like the most famous theater. 
I don't know. Radio it, City Music. No, no. no. Uh, the uh, I can't think of it. Anyways, it was it was like I thought you were gonna say strip club or something. No, for something. No, juicy, this is like you know? super intimidating. He's like, meet me at this place, and I'm like, okay, and I go in there. I'm like looking around. I'm like, oh my god. He's, he's the resident sound designer of this place. Also, yeah. I don't know why I can't think of the name of it. Um. Uh. Anyway, so then we like talk for an hour. He's like, do you want to see Hamilton? I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you want to see it tonight? I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> so I went there and uh, saw the show. I was like, well, this is great. And um, then five months later, I was doing Hamilton. I went to Asia for a few months and hung out. It was cool. That is pretty cool. <laughs> That's an off podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, the the like Asian it. stories. Yeah. <laughs> the Asian era. Yeah. yeah. Was, uh, yeah India, the... Nepal. It was awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, I had some time and. My buddy was getting married, so. But anyways, whatever. That's that how Hamilton cool. worked out. So Indian wedding, huh? Yeah, it was in I Mumbai. Was it was awesome. That's cool. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Funny enough, we do in America. We do a lot of Indian weddings in Orlando, and this actually reminds me. So at the end of, we're not ending yet. We got a lot more chatting to do. But at the end of our last podcast, we kind of decided we're going to do, uh, like things not to do on a gig. <laughs> and as I was thinking about you coming on. And we had an Indian wedding this last weekend. I was having memories of working an Indian wedding with you about probably 15 years ago. We were working for another company together. And it was at a hotel that was in like, it's it's the Rosen or one of those. It's kind of a fancy hotel, but it joins the uh, Florida Mall or one of those big malls in Orlando. Hmm. And we were working it together. And it was like a three-day thing. We ate piles of delicious indian food but my favorite memory from it was me and you were sent to set up like a little secondary stage in the mall like it was oh yeah i remember that. right outside of the Eons. main ballroom yeah and it was like <laughs> we were grossly under equipped for this gig we had a couple of eon yeah. 615 generation one eons yeah. Yeah. and this indian band was playing like the doll and they were playing all this stuff like at you know, 115 decibels just off the <laughs> instrument. Louder than we are, yeah. Super loud. And so Matt and I, in our uh, naivete, in our young, uh, in our in our young and not so, we knew a good amount of sound, but we did not know a good about about diplomacy yet. We're out there and we're like, well, we got to ring these monitors out, <laughs> and oh we start my. ringing out these wedges, right? And we're, mind you, we're like in the lobby of a major mall, basically, like we're. There's kind of like this weird, like transition area between the mall and the hotel, and it's like a, a lounge type of area. And they put up a stage. It was a small stage, it was like probably 16 by 12 sort of deal. And we had these eons, and we were like, we're just flat out sticking a 58 into a horn, <laughs> Wee! just crazy feedback. And we're like, oh yeah, knock that out. And Matt's like, I got it, I got it, 2.5. Right? And he's over there on the, uh, you know, the 25 year old Behringer crap EQ, notching out and stuff. And we're oh doing this God. for probably 20 minutes, and this big old beefcake security guy comes over. He's <laughs> like, neck matches, yeah. like goes straight to the <laughs> ear. There's like, you know, crazy. there's there's no contour here in the uh, neck region. And he comes over and he's like, you guys, you guys got to stop. I mean, Matt, like, we got a job to do. <laughs> yeah, man. Sorry, pal. Uh, you we got to ring these out, right? We're more important than you. <laughs> and uh, and he comes over. And he's like, no, you're gonna stop. And then he walks away for a minute, and sure enough, we stick the 58 back in the horn. <laughs> I mean, it shouldn't take us 20 minutes crazy. to do it, but we were, again, not very good at this. We were. This is very young in our career. And dude comes back over, and he's hot this time. And he was like, 
I'm not going to tell you to again. <laughs> I am security, and I will physically, personally oh, remove no. you both from this hotel and from this mall property if that thing feeds back again. We're just like, wow. What's wrong with this guy? What a jerk. We're no trying to way. do our jobs. And I remember we went and told our boss at the time, and he's like, why are you doing that? Yeah, like, why would you, he's just looking at us like stupid? we're a couple of the dumbest people on the planet. That's we're crazy. Like, we were at that moment. I thought we were supposed <laughs> to ring out the monitors. That's crazy. But that I will tell I you. I forgotten about that story, man. <laughs> I will tell you, uh, those wedges didn't feedback once during the show. Good, they didn't. They uh, shouldn't who, have. Who had their asses kicked. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, that 1604 Mackie performed admirably with those eons. Oh, and, man. Uh, was, that was quite a I blocked a lot of those weddings out of my. Yeah. I just put them in the. In that the vault. one was. Uh, I remember that one because it was the best food, uh, like, marathon that I think I've had at a wedding. So it was like every breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then there were like six more meals in between, and everything was just fantastic Indian cuisine, uh, to the point where the last day I was searching the hotel for cornflakes i was just like i want cornflakes and milk that was my <laughs> i need thing. to cleanse <laughs> i could this i can't like eat indian food three five six times a day i just i need something i did and uh i just need yeah. something else it probably was i found good, a lot of cornflakes it was delicious it was but it's also it's kind of like anything i don't want pizza three times a day yeah i know it's not, not the same but like just don't want the same kind of thing you know? yeah well, this was, you know, and for us it was, I think, fairly exotic as two kids from Gainesville. For sure. <laughs> like, this isn't pizza, exactly. <laughs> well, another employee and I went on an Indian wedding, and uh, I think that's when the breaking point was. We, we told the, the owner, like, you got you to gotta give us per diem for this. You can't just, you can't just make us eat the, the wedding food, man. <laughs> yeah. I need, to, I, need a, I need a sandwich or something. I had to take three I days off of work because I haven't left yeah, the restaurant. Yeah, I need, I need some, I need some cornflakes. Yeah. Or that's a good idea, just bring cornflakes. Cheerios. It worked great. Yeah. I was craving them. It was, yeah. it was very strange. But that was uh, that was just oh, a man, funny story man, that popped into my mind. I was like, oh gosh, that. Matt and I were so dumb. I can't believe we kept sticking that. I remember, into like the all horn. of these memories as you're yeah. telling the story are coming back. I'm like, oh my god. Yeah, it was really dumb. Oh but both god. of us were so um, we were angry, so like headstrong oh, and yeah. arrogant. We were like, <laughs> we gotta do, we <laughs> got a job to do. We gotta ring monitors out. Yeah, can't have feedback during the show. Meanwhile, there's people like trying to shop at JC you know, just wailing feedback. It's all part of the experience, yeah. It is. There's it an is. ego that comes along with some of this job too. You know what I mean? Like you're the guy to get it done, and then yeah, you gotta gotta squash that a little bit. Well, I think it's not about you at all, ever. Yeah. So there's there's a healthy balance because you have to have an oddly high amount of confidence to stand behind the console with hundreds or thousands of people. And you're the person controlling how it sounds. That's take some cojones. You gotta yeah, you, you gotta, gotta be able to stand in there and think somehow that you <clears throat> know better how it should sound than a thousand or two thousand other people in the room. Because that's kind of what it amounts to. Is like I am the curator of what it sounds like in here. And uh, I, I think there's a fine line between confidence and arrogance in that of going like okay i'm gonna stand in here and i, I, I do know what i'm doing I, I, and the guy who stands in there and is like oh no it sounds great no matter what and uh kind of sticks to their sticks to their guns no matter what happens um but it definitely takes takes an interesting personality which sure. i think is where we get into all the grumpy sound men sure out there is like oh i know better you don't know anything well i've done 
I've done this gig a million times. I that I mean, I've heard every excuse for why people are upset or why they're better than you or me or whoever. <laughs> I just don't care anymore. I'm like, all right, man, let's just do the job. Let yeah, we <laughs> exactly. I have had more These than one occasion where people come up and like, oh, I did sound for so and so in 1973. <laughs> this sounds terrible. I'm like, well, thanks for prefacing that. And let's have a conversation because I talked about this in the first episode of like, I value, um, you know, clientele feedback. I value audience feedback of like, if even just one person comes and sounds says it sounds terrible, that doesn't mean I'm changing the mix necessarily, but I'm going to take that in sure. and go, okay, so either I need to figure out where this person sits or maybe they're just deaf yeah, or maybe they're I just grumpy. Ask, where do you, where are, where are you sitting? I do. That's, that's a very good Because it's always like, I don't know, if you're just doing a two speakers and sticks or line array or million zones it's still it's still different from mm -hmm. place to place and there's still a Very change true. that could be happened you know that can be <coughs> or whatever i used to read on book of mormon it's really hard when you're touring to get really good feedback from the audience or the ushers or whoever like you're it's never going to sound great everywhere you're kind of utilitarian a lot mm -hmm. of these pas like you're not just blasting sound. I mean, you're doing it on purpose, but you're trying to get this, uh, a similar decibel range and a similar frequency range into as many seats as possible. Mm -hmm. But the lace theaters are really different size and right. have weird little corners and stuff, so you're going to screw it up or it's just not going to be right. So people come up and, like, if you're receptive, you can actually get useful information out of them. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, well, I'm really sorry. Like, where are you sitting? Like, what it like? Suss them out. Can they actually tell you something other than where they're sitting? And they didn't hear the vocals. Oh, okay, that's good to know. Or the mm -hmm. drums are too loud. Okay, these are good things to know. Yeah. I would actually read the Ticketmaster reviews after mm, like a couple nights good. in each city because I didn't get enough information. And I, I was so OCD at that point. Proactivity. Good, you know. And like you'd get, you'd get their seat number. It'd be like this person sat in the mezzanine on the right side, and they said oh, the vocals wow. were too loud. You're like, okay. You go stand up there during the show when you're A2 or whoever's next thing, and you're like, they're totally right. Or yeah. they're wrong. But whatever. It's still ammunition to better your craft, better your show, mm -hmm. whatever. Because I had the, you know, being on tour and having the show sit for a week to a month to six months at a time. Like, you have the time mm -hmm. to hone it. Yeah, especially with Book of Mormon. You right. Were, you like, were pretty much always down for at least a week. Yeah. You? So you can, it, that's what's nice about it. It's not just a one-off where, like, oh, well, it sounds bad. Kind of, like, brush it off. It's like. Oh, it sounds bad. I'm going to do something about it. That's yeah, what a yeah. lot of people don't do. It's like, you know, you find places, you're like, man, I got I got some UPAs. I'm going to go throw some speakers in these corners and mm -hmm. boom, lights it right up. People are smiling, you know, like that's yeah. what it's all about. No well, and we should view it as <laughs> while there are definitely better seats than others, we should still, I mean, kind of our, our goal is uh, clearly to get the best sound to every seat in the house sure. that's <clears> possible within the restrictions of both you know, the physical restrictions of the venue and finances of the PA and everything else you can do. But, you know, we still got to try our very best to get everybody the best sound we can get. I don't want anyone to, like, go to a show that I'm mixing and it be so bad where they are and I could have done something. Mm -hmm. Like, that Like that just seems, like, lazy. Like Even if I didn't yeah. know it, but if I find it out and I don't do anything, like, that's just as bad practice. Like, what are you doing? I don't know. If I was just doing a one-off and someone's like, it sounds bad over there, I'm going to go over there. I don't know. It's just like instinct. Try to fix, do yeah. a good job. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, because, I mean, most people, there's 
on occasion, I'll get somebody who just seems like they're just ticked off at life. Sure. But 99% of people are not going to take the time to walk up and tell you, hey, it sounds bad over there. Yeah. Unless they're really experiencing something, right. yeah, something, which also usually tells me there's probably 20 people that didn't walk that up to me and tell me that. Right. Yeah. And then I go over there, and I've had times where I walked over there, I'm like, oh, yeah, the amp tripped a breaker, <laughs> yeah. and it's not even on on <laughs> yeah. that side of the house. And you wouldn't know that because I'm, you know, I wouldn't know that I'm in front of house. It, it sounded, sounded good freaking three, great. Yeah, 3 p.m. earlier when I checked it, it sounded great. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it was eight and hours I ago. I clearly yeah. can't <laughs> walk the house while I'm mixing, so it's, you know, things happen. And so I've I've really made it a practice for me. That was so you're you're in different houses and and you know looking at those notes. For me, it was actually mixing a lot of retirement home venues because <laughs> uh, older folks have tend to be well. They have a lot more hearing loss and issues, so they actually have a lot more challenges in getting it to sound good. And you have a lot more compromises and like this is too loud for some folks and not loud enough for others. And there's just a lot more challenges. So it actually made me a lot better mixer. And um, I started really like, I don't know. Some of it is that confidence versus arrogance of like, I started going, okay, I know I'm not a bad engineer, but this person's clearly experiencing something. They're not coming up to me and telling me, you know, they can't hear the vocals and I'm going, well, the vocals sound great from front of house without (laughs) it being like, that's our actual experience. Sure. You know what I mean? Whether I agree with it, I always say at the end of the day, like, I don't have to agree with it. But if I go, okay, this person is actually having this experience. And just like flipping that from like being defensive and being insecure about like, oh, they're saying I'm a terrible engineer. No, nobody said I was a terrible <laughs> engineer. They came and said, it sounds terrible where they're sitting. Yeah. That's two that very different not an things. Ass- it's not an insult. That has nothing to do with yeah, me. I don't take that Necessarily, other than it's my job to try to get it better. And that's the that's the thing. And, and I think... Um, I think a lot of that just comes down to insecurity. And so for me, that happened also as I got older and more experienced and had more experiences and got more self-confident of like, you know, honestly, at the end of the day, if all 800 people in that room think it sounded terrible, I'm still confident that I can that I can engineer. You know what I mean? Sure. I obviously have some work to do and (laughs) some things to address, um, whether it was me or the talent or maybe there's some other issue or whatever else. But, uh, you know, I am now in a place where I don't, like, take that to heart of, like, oh, I'm, you know, not good enough or I a terrible quit. engineer. I can never do this again. <clears throat> would you would you say that's something that experience brings? Because, I, I mean, if you're a beginner, it seems like sometimes when you're just starting out with something, you can be a little more sensitive about, about it. Well, you probably do suck <clears throat> in the beginning. Yeah. That's the other thing. And, and that's then okay. The more experience you gain, then you kind of, you've had success, you've had some fails. So at some point, you can sit in the middle, like when people bring you those issues and mm-hmm. the confidence. I, I mean, I think it has something to do with character as well, the kind of character you have. For some people, it's not a thing for no reason. There are a lot of sound men that are just really mean. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. as people for no reason. Well, so again, I think I think this is my theory. I think some of it plays into that, like the type of person that it takes to stand back there and go, I know better than everyone else in the room how it yeah. should sound. This is what I want to do in my life is curate what everyone else should be receiving, right? So that's there's something to that, I really think. And then the you know, the stereotype of the grumpy sound man <clears throat> because there's you know, there's some commonality there. But obviously, none of us, none of us actually want to grow old and be that guy that gets 
misremembered <laughs> as the person who hates everyone of course not. and was wrong half the time, you know? So I look at it as like, if I didn't stick the mic into the horn of an Eon in the middle of a mall and do a whole bunch of other stupid crap over the years, mm. I wouldn't be the person I am or the mixer I am today. And I mean, if I didn't have stuff like, um, you know, like I flipped a scene and it wasn't scene safe and the lead singer's mic was now the backup singer's mic because <laughs> it was a four piece doo-wop group and they all switched mics around. And I did that, decided to do that in the middle of the show because I thought my, my previous show's mix was so good. And now I've got, you know, 500 people turning and looking at me. Why is the lead singer's mic not on? That sort of thing. Like I love the turn and look. Okay. No, so even better. <laughs> Actually, the exact show I'm talking about was Gary Lewis and the – or no, it wasn't Gary Lewis. Uh, oh, I'll think of his name. Oldies act, super famous, tons of hits. And I'm in this room with like 500 people at a retirement community and makes me front of house. And I flipped the scene because the band stayed on and they just did like a little segue from the opener doo-wop group to the main guy, right? And they passed the mics off. I knew which mic he was on, but I flipped the scene because I was like, okay, it's got uh, – I didn't even have monitors. It was so dumb. I shouldn't have flipped the scene. Just <laughs> freaking rag faders and move on. But I flipped the scene because I thought I was being fancy, and it changed his mic. And I didn't know what happened at first. No, no, it didn't actually mute his mic. It went from, like, I had, for him, I had it gained up to, like, plus 25 dB. And for the other singer that was, like, gospel singer-esque, I had it at, like, plus 5. Right. right? So there's this giant swing in gain. So you couldn't hear him at all. It was like he wasn't even talking. Also, this particular guy had had a drink or two between the first show and the second show, and he was not quite projecting quite the same. But that's kind of another story. But he grabs the mic, <laughs> and he's basically not even on, at, like, as far as the audience is concerned. And uh, the lady who, one of the ladies that worked with the with the club at this retirement community that hired us, and we had worked several shows, so there was also like a great rapport. We had a great track record of great shows. She turns, and as everyone, literally 450, 500 people turn and look at me, right, all dramatically because the mic's not on, she yells from across the room, so this big old ballroom, Fix it, Eric! Fix it! Oh I'm like, oh god, they all know my name now, too! Oh my too. god. <laughs> In this oh my like, god. heavy New York accent, she's yelling at oh me to fix god. it, which also doesn't help, because then I'm like, oh god, I don't even know which mic it is! I'm just like frozen <laughs> yeah, and panicked. Panic. Sounds like and this a is nightmare like, dream everyone turns around. That's a mixing fix nightmare. It, this is like a nightmare 15 dream. plus years oh, into my career as an audio engineer, <laughs> and I. I feel like a child again. I'm just like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. I, don't, I, can't, his name. I can't spell that word. Uh. <laughs> that is a dream. That's like a nightmare that you have before a gig. Uh, at the same show, one of our other guys leaned on the wall over on the side. He wasn't doing anything. And he hit the house light button oh, and turned all the house lights At the same up. time? No, it oh. was right before it, though. So he leans on the house lights, and then he totally tries to play it off like... Nothing to say, like, yeah. wasn't me. Like, what happened? Oh, man. Really uh, and then starts pushing now. the buttons. <laughs> so, That's crazy. Anyway. God, uh, I wish it happened right when she said, fix the mic, Eric. Fix it, Eric. I was like, up, <laughs> like oh, my God. Uh, but that show, at the end, I actually had several people come up to me from the audience as they passed by exiting, you know, give me the kind of the courtesy nod or sounded great tonight. And, uh, you know, it was one gaffe. It was dumb. It looked bad. The lady embarrassed me a bit but it was like you remember more than they do though 
That's oh, like, absolutely. Most people don't remember. And like, it was still a great show. Yeah, yeah. You, and we've one little thing can make you have a ten shows show. sets. Yeah, yeah. So it didn't even affect anything. And if it did, that's fine too. That's the thing. Like, one little thing, your head. It's just it. It just burrows in your brain. Oh, mm-hmm. I screwed up the gig. No one, unless it's ca- catastrophic. No one remembers that, man. Mm-hmm. Like no one remembers that. Except for you. Except for me, <laughs> which I'll, I'll continue to talk about it for the rest of my life. Fix it, Eric! Fix it. I had one at the Phillips Center where they said, sound man, do your job. Mm. Oh, nice. It was, it, was, uh, it was awful. And everyone turned around and I said, oh, my God. It was one of these uh, student shows. Do you know about this show? It's one of these student shows. Of course, there was a DJ. Nothing was organized. It was a nightmare. Right. The DJ shows up literally as it's supposed to start. He goes, I need a table. They bowed the pit. I need a table right there in front of the PA with a mic. And I was like, no, no not a chance. And then they're like, no, you got to do this. So I give him, like, I'm, I'm like, can you at least be, like, not right in front of the PA? No, okay, it's not going to happen. So then I didn't leave his mic on because I didn't want it to feed back. But he was also didn't have lights on him because they didn't know he was going to be there. So there was no lights in the sky. And I didn't know – I didn't want to leave him on because he kept playing music. And the, the hosts were, like, trying to talk. And I'm like, all right, I'm just going to ride this and, like, see what happens. And they're like – they would do a skit, and then they would come out and talk. And then no one was telling me what was going on. I didn't know he was playing music. All of a sudden, they're like, like can you turn on the DJ? And I turn him on. He's, like, playing a song. And he gets on the mic and goes, sound man, do your job. Sound man, do your job. <laughs> and I lost my mind. Like, this is like two year, a year into me doing sound. I, like, swiped him out, faders all the way down. And I didn't have a talk back. So I just stood there. And everyone turned around, <laughs> 2,000 people in the oh, theater, about 1,900. And he goes, sound man, do your job. And I said, move on with the show. I just <laughs> screamed it out loud. And they're like, turn on the DJ. And I'm like, nope, he's done. DJ's done. <laughs> and then, like, all, like, production manager, they all came out and, like, stood next to me. They're like, what's going on? John, I was, like, on comm. John, the paper, get out of there, Matt. You're going to get killed. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy, man. I'll never get it. Sound man, do, do your job. job. Oh, I've, I've worked several. <laughs> on blast, man. Uh, usually oh, hip hop shows, but I've worked several. Uh, and and actually, uh, DJ Khaled <laughs> once we did a show with him and his wasn't him as much as his DJ. They kept yelling at us to stop. They would yell us to stop changing the sound, and we were literally like multiple feet away from the console because yeah. it was just a DJ line and a mic. And he was like, ah, and their tracks were different volumes. Yeah, and it was kind of it was a college show, so it was like a one off. So totally makes sense that it was a little hodgepodge as far as like their tracks and stuff. But he, he kept turning and yelling at us. I'm like, I was just standing there. He finally actually yeah. like put his hands up like the cops were there. He's like, not touching anything yeah. and waving at him. Because they kept putting him on blast on the mic to everybody. It and crazy. it was like, I don't, I'm not doing I don't know what else that. to do, man, because I'm, I'm not actually touching anything. That's crazy. And you keep yelling at me. Please oh, can you imagine? Khaled, too, you know, he loves to talk. Oh, my God. Please don't oh, talk to me in front of the audience. I'm, yeah. I'm on this side of the thing for a reason <laughs> yeah. don't put me on blast man i'm doing my best yeah. so it's man, also not do your job oh, man. it's not in general that's the best a, idea that's like a back of my head oh man okay i'll do my job i didn't do my job jumping up sweat cold sweats at night you ever had uh like gig dreams though gig nightmares like actual like wake up 
you ever have dreams about like you know you show up to a venue and nothing's in the truck or something like that? <laughs> okay, so mine are more like that. Mine are more like the client interaction and preparation stuff of like, oh, we screwed up, we, we missed everything, uh, we don't have backline, and we're yeah, supposed to have backline and exactly. sound lights. That's more mine than the actual like execution day of. Um, I I think that I'm probably unhealthily confident as far as like actual execution. It's more like the front end execution that <clears throat> that keeps me up at night of like, oh, did we miss an entire section of gear on the pull sheet or something like that? And we have, we've quite literally missed lighting <laughs> on a show. Like, it wasn't extensive, uh, but we were supposed to have some stage wash. Sure. And we drove all the way to Naples and oh man, didn't have stage no. wash. <laughs> yeah, what do you do? It's Apple. Uh, we say. Sorry about the stage wash. Oh, man. Eh, whatever. You'll have a refund on Monday. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, that particular one was actually recently, and uh, they had some like little part 38s in the venue. It was kind of secondary. It was a dance party thing. It ended up that one was not a particularly bad deal, but it definitely scares the crap out of me. Sure. I'm like, oh, that could have been dreams. much worse. <laughs> that could have been a showstopper. Like, you can forget a power distro and not have a show. Oh, man. Uh, or, I mean, we've had stuff where, yeah, we're – we're in Orlando or Tampa or someplace, and we're scrambling. And now, fortunately, there I keep really good connections with other vendors, and I have a whole lot of numbers in my phone and cell numbers of other providers and that sort of thing. And we play nice with other providers, and we try to help them out when they're in a jam. Um, so, I mean, I've got a pile of people in the industry that owe me favors, frankly, like that I've bailed out where they were doing a show closer to here, and they were missing a piece of gear. It also, honestly, has made me feel a whole lot better about myself sure. and my company when I get a call. We got a call a couple <laughs> weeks ago from a company in Miami doing an AV gig in town here that was one of their clients, and they were doing something at the movie theater or something, and they had a wireless unit that they got a power supply for. Like, it just wasn't in the rack. And I was like, okay, so we're not the only ones that yeah. you know, forget antennas <clears throat> on a wireless or, like, not forget them, but, like, you know, they just don't get packed. Yeah. And, Everyone you know, makes mistakes. You screw up. Yeah. Exactly. And you end up six hours from your shop going, oh, crap. And you start Googling sound <laughs> systems in Tanzil. Yeah. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Where, Hello, bunt back what are we close to? Is there a guitar center that we could get something near me? Crappy equivalent of. Um, fortunately, again, we've been, we've been on a big push to get more organized and to do a better job. And we've put a – We've started putting in some more fail-safes as far as information and gear checkoffs and those type of things. Um, so we're definitely in a little – we're doing a better job with that where we're having fewer emergency trips to Guitar Center or wherever, <laughs> you know, to get something stupid. It's always something stupid or, like, guitar stands or whatever because they weren't on the rider, but they added them last minute. And we should – we always just take guitar stands anyway, but we didn't because they weren't on the list. And I, uh, yeah. need a um – barcode scanner that's coming yeah we're getting there so we've been in an awkward place for a while because we're you know we grew pretty rapidly from like garage to small warehouse to we're in i mean not huge but seven thousand feet now and we have a good amount of individual pieces of gear and uh so that's actually something we've we've been paying for the system for a while so we have a rental management system so we're in the in the very slow process of actually implementing it and then barcoding it and all that and uh, the other big thing that'll do for us that's been a challenge is like today when our guys got in Monday morning, 
they had like four trucks worth of stuff all unloaded in the bay. And while our guys are pretty good about like putting it all, you know, this shows all here and this shows all here, sometimes stuff gets mixed up sure. or like there was a flip over the weekend, a gear flip where something from that show ended up on that show. So sometimes we're like looking for a piece of gear that is in our shop, but it ended up with another pack or in another case or whatever else. And uh, so we're hoping some of that eliminates with the barcode scanning and all that stuff that we can, when we see a random pile of cables on the floor, we can scan it and it'll tell us what it went with. And we don't have to do, uh, you know, Sherlock Holmes work to figure <laughs> out. I mean, I work with some of the biggest uh, sound shops in the country mm -hmm. for all these shows. <coughs> they screw stuff up all the time. That like, makes me feel so good. The, like, I, honestly, like, I'm sorry for you. No, I'm the, sorry for them. No, I mean, but it, it always it, it makes happens, me feel man. better it because happens. it reminds me, like, kind of like with the sound stuff, and even like with your horror stories about like consoles crashing and stopping a major Broadway show in the middle of the show to fix something. It reminds you, and I think that stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about other people, but it helps me when I'm having a tough day to go, okay, this isn't the end of the world. Sure. Yeah. Other people screw up too. And it kind of goes back to it's, it's how you deal with it that's the most important thing, more, more so than the mistake or the problem. It's how you actually handle it afterwards that makes you who you are or you know defines your character way more so than the actual problem or the mistake. Human life. Yeah. Everyone screws up. We just happen to do it in front of thousands of people often. Often. <laughs> I try to do it infrequently, however. I mean, it's going to happen. Like and then there's always the uh, – for us, we also end up with a lot of wireless mics uh, switch-ups. Uh, you probably don't have it as much because you guys are, you know, super organized and you have an A2 back there. A lot of times, like, you know, we'll have four wireless on the show. We do a lot of festivals or multi-band things where there's four uh, a four-wireless kit on stage. And, you know, we'll no matter how many times we tell the MC, you're on blue mic, number one. Here it is on this stand right by the stairwell. Only use this one. I'm going to leave it hot for you even. So that we don't have to have a stage manager giving it to you every time because you're talking between every act, and all you gotta do is flip it on, and start talking. I'll leave it hot in the house, and somehow they end up with the wrong mic. I'm like, where did you even find another? Every mic? show. Where did? You, oh my god. Like there, you had to go to the monitor <clears throat> desk and like dig around to find the other mics, and somehow they end up and they're up there. Oh, I love that one. You know, hitting the mic head until you turn it on. You go, wait, no, 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 and uh, <laughs> you know, so you look dumb in front of a couple thousand you people. You have like a little um. Thing you attach to them <laughs> and the like microphone little tether yeah mic tether. tether like the Wii re uh, remote exactly that. yeah the little uh, that would be yeah. that way they can't things. do a mic drop which yeah. i'm sorry don't ever do that <laughs> yeah. don't drop the microphone uh, on the ground we had a great one uh bo burnham the comedian did uh did a show here and uh he <laughs> it was in the rights union at uf and it's all carpeted in there and he's doing this whole thing. And actually, that was the same show DJ Khaled played upstairs. And Bo Burnham was, like, kind of doing this whole thing. He's walking around the crowd and trying to work in the crowd sort of deal and just doing, like, a lot of improv stuff. And uh, when he's, then he did something like, we the best music. He kind of, like, goofed on DJ Khaled. Not, like, super hard or anything, but just kind of, like, played on it a little bit. And he's like, y'all want to hear how dumb a mic drop sounds on carpet? And he drops the mic from, like, head height, which is one of my nice sure mics. I'm like, no, don't drop the mic. He drops it, and I swear it did not make a single sound. Oh. It made no sounds <laughs> on the carpet, and it was the funniest shit. I had so much trouble because I was like, he dropped my mic, but God, that was really oh, funny. You learned something, too. You're like, yeah. Oh. I was like, oh, oh. 
It's not so bad. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> How dumb a mic drop sounds on carpet. <laughs> <laughs> totally silent. I never thought I'd like a mic drop bit. I like that mic drop bit. It was really good. Yeah, no, I was the same way, and I'm just like, hey, hey, like just getting angry in the oh, back. Is he like re- he dropped my are you mic. really about to drop my mic? And right? then, well, he picks it back up, and it was also funny because he had the batteries had popped loose. So he picks it back up and it was dead. So he had to like he jogged back to stage to get another mic from our <laughs> stage manager. So it was like extra. It added to the bit. Good. It was nice. He learned something too. <laughs> he learned something too. I shouldn't drop people's yeah. mics because then really. they don't work. But it's true. That was that was a really fun show. Again, don't drop the mic. It's not that dumb. <laughs> so that was um. <laughs> so another question. We're just gonna keep going if that's cool. Yeah. Is that cool. Yeah. All right. I don't know how long we've been going. Just keep going. going. Go, man. We're rolling. All right. Go. So another I question I had for tomorrow. you <laughs> on the Broadway <laughs> thing. So how, when a show's getting designed and built, you have the designer, and then how do you go about your, like, the actual putting the kit together, ordering oh, your gear, kind that, of all that. That's a huge process uh, between the designer and the associate designer. Um I mean, they, they got to look at either, is it a theater install or is it a tour? There is there is another beer in there somewhere. I'm totally kidding. Uh, it all depends on what they're doing. <laughs> but, but they have a huge amount of paperwork. They choose. I'm not sure how they choose the speakers. They like certain speakers. They want to mm. use those. They like the sound of these mics. They want to use these. And there's budgetary <coughs> concerns. So anyways, they put together uh, probably a flow first say we need all this we need this kind of console we need this much io this kind of uh uh routing for the avioms we need a matrix system whatever they have to do um this theater that we're going to go into needs all these different kinds of speakers for like zones we have like <coughs> hamilton chicago has 251 speakers in the house and we have how big it, what's the seating 1900 capacity? But so there's not a much lot bigger than the Phillips Center. Yeah, but we have three tiers. So we have a orchestra, a, a, a um, dress circle, a mezzanine, and a balcony. Mm. And then there's we have side surrounds, rear surrounds, and then fills. We have arrays. We've got subs on multiple levels, cardioid subs, like all kinds of stuff. Um, so show for show run, is it all left right beta basically, and everything's matrices out? We don't even do that. It's not. It's like it's or all, it all process. It's all process. We we uh, use uh, Dimitri to matrix okay. all this stuff out and do a lot of processing because the console we don't have enough outputs on the console to do because we have maybe a hundred or so ninety something outputs on Dimitri working. We have another I don't know thirty forty fifty on the console going. Um, yeah, there's a lot because. It, they're all individual. That's the great thing. Like this one speaker in front of me, I can change the delay time and the EQ on this one speaker. Almost everything, not al- almost everything is one to one. And then via the, because a lot of them are like uh, Alcons, the mm-hmm. amplifiers have individual control. So like if it's not through the matrix system, you can do it via the amplifier. I want this one speaker oh, to wow. have more delay or EQ. So there's a wow. ton of, so anyways, when you're building a system, what do I need to make this? Also, what's my budget? Hamilton, of course, has a seemingly infinite budget. Not true, but it is pretty big. Um, So they put that together. They do a bid with these big sound companies. A lot of, like, PRG is, like, one of the big ones. It's PRG Mask Mask. and, and, um, uh, uh, God, I'm, like, so brain dead tonight. I can't even think of it. 
I can't believe I can't remember <laughs> the name. They're the only local one shop left. Anyways, uh, the three the three main shops in Chicago. No, no, this is in New York. Oh, They're in gotcha. Yonkers. Um. Uh. Anyways, they um. They put out bids for these sound systems. Generally, if the producers have something to do with one of the shops, they'll take that shop. Like PRG has uh, produces shows. Not fully, but they're like their partners. Okay. So they'll like get the basically lighting. throw in some gear because they do lighting, they do sound, they do automation, they do all this stuff right, now. Right. So um, and a lot of times they'll do lighting and throw in the sound for like half price. So they almost PRG has a ton of shows. And then they get a rake probably. Yeah, I mean or some sort of they're doing fine. Back end. Yeah. <laughs> but so they'll. Well, that makes sense if you have the resources to do that. Yes. Yeah. You know, and depending on the an show and depending on the budget, like they'll, you'll either the shop will come back and be like, "We have this, but we don't have that," so you'll take concessions on gear. And sometimes they'll be like, "No, you buy the gear." So sometimes they just have to buy lots of speakers and stuff. So mm -hmm. it it happens. So, anyways, um, well, if it's a big enough bid, like yeah, Hamilton, <clears> yeah, which is going to sit for a long time. I mean, yeah. it's probably the thing is we have probably close to three quarters of a million dollars worth of sound system. Mm -hmm. uh, Maybe less than that, but a lot. And the weekly rental is maybe ten grand. Mm -hmm. So, but it runs for years. Right. So, um, and then you have multiple shows. So, anyway, so they, um, it's bet uh, between the associate designer and the, and the designer. The associate does a lot of work with the paperwork. The all this Broadway paperwork now is beautiful. Like if you look mm -hmm. at signal flows, like <coughs> like speaker flow, all this stuff is like gorgeous like you can you could frame it and put it on the wall but it's mm -hmm. it's great because you can you can look at it and see where everything's going and because there's a lot of networking now it's like super important to have all this very detailed right. paperwork documentation right you can trace stuff down and everything else yeah and then eventually when he gets to the point of building a show we go to these big sound shops and these are like massive warehouses um all the usually the associate will do all this paperwork and have all these avery labels ready to go so they just print off these mass labels, like individual cable labels. So then you go in the sound shop, and you ask for usually a lot of, we have 19 pairs. They're just like big breakout malts, Broadway malts. And you label each single one. So you mm -hmm. just sit there for days, and you're just labeling cable, labeling cable. And then you take these bundles, and you like label like which side should go together. And then you tie them all together and you give them to the shop and they bundle them all together. So you have all these cable runs that all work and all have the right termination. So it has like a male power con and a female XLR or whatever right. you want on the right end. So you, as <coughs> one of the audio guys on the show, go to the provider, spend time in the provider shop, um, like putting your two weeks to a month in gotcha. there. Just we do cable, we do bundles, wow. and you start putting the, all the gear in racks. So if it's on a tour, there's like tour racks that move. It's installed. They're like big install racks that are mm -hmm. like kind of hollow and sideless, backless. Um, so you put all, you put it all in there. You um, the designers design all the racks too. Mm -hmm. So like from top to bottom, every piece of gear that's supposed to be in there. Now it's not always perfect. You have to add some things, and then it's up to whoever's building it to like to wire it. Like you have a schematic of like what what goes to what for networks or amplifiers or whatever. But you also have to figure out like. You have to look at the back of this rack or the front of this rack that you're doing and like you use zip ties a lot. <clears throat> How do I make this efficient to where if I have to change something, I don't have to cut out 40 zip ties. Also, can I pull a module out without having um, to 
pull a bunch of stuff out. So like, right. it's all about like making it work and in a pinch. Like, mm-hmm. how can I get in here? So you spend a lot of time doing that. You build all that stuff together. The cable, the bundles will come back from the shop. They're done bundling it. You'll plug everything in before you leave. I mean, you label every speaker. You label everything. Everything mm. is labeled to the nth degree. And then you plug it all in, all your comm, everything, and you test it all. Video, TV comm. Yep. Um, so that you know when you roll into that theater, because you don't want to be bundling cable in the theater. You want to be pulling from point A to point B and mm. plugging it in. <coughs> so you know that it works. So mm. hopefully when you take the take all that, put it in boxes or whatever, big sammies, big rolling carts, and then you throw it in the theater after you've pulled it through, you know, a trough underneath the theater, underneath all the seats, and it doesn't get ruined, and you plug it in, it still works, and it's labeled correctly, and you know where it's going. All the labels (laughs) not only tell you, like, what's on it, it tells you, like, what's it coming from and what's it going to. Like, there's a lot of information there because it's, you know. That's amazing. I didn't realize. I thought that like you know the prg or mass sound or whatever is build your stuff to spec but it's actually you guys they in hire your us shop. yeah so part of the build like so as an a2 or an a1 um you go and you build your show but you also like bring guys in that you know gotcha. so like do you have do you have guys like i for six months all i did in new york when i first moved there was just do shop builds so you just i went to all the different shops all these different people i know they like hired me because i like i'm ocd and like love to do like put all that stuff together and you just spend you know six seven eight hour days labeling yep labeling plugging in and listening to music it's actually great it's off, i love those days it's super yeah. fun um but that's like there's like busy seasons where the shops are just like it's just like one zone after the other where there's just like yeah, shows just <coughs> a big old warehouse it's a big it's a they're big shops and they have a lot of they call them keys so the guys who um you have a key for your zone, that guy, you're like, hey, I need a bunch of like female XLR panels, like six by one by sixes or whatever. And they're like, go get them. They log them, they scan them, mm-hmm. and they hand them off. Hopefully they work. And then <laughs> you wow. plug them in. So it's, it's a process <laughs> and it takes time. And that explains the smooth sailing of the that's, show. That's, it's all preparation, man. Like it's, when you roll in there, because then you look good not to like the producers, but like, you know, everyone else. Like, you don't want to be the department, you know. That everyone's waiting on. Yeah. Sound actually is like lighting. Lighting can do whatever they want. They're always when you. Everyone's when always waiting on lighting. And that's, <laughs> that's and that's okay because the direct, everyone gives lighting some bigger credit, in, at least in theater. Oh, yeah. Like they're, the, the ML tech, moving light tech is sitting there like the director is telling him this, the, the, uh, the lighting designer is telling him that, and he's like dialing it all in. Meanwhile, we're waiting – in a scene so they work through the whole show slowly 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 the person at the console they don't say all right we're going to pick up from this scene this word they just start talking and you throw everyone up and you go okay here we go and if you're not paying attention and they start you get you get yelled like, at <laughs> what the hell <laughs> like, hey yeah. mic up yeah, I, so like, i've oh, had this man. experience doing just theater at uf and it was like yeah it's they would they would stop for a really long time on lighting cues and we'd be sitting there and so for me i would actually be programming so i would take those long pauses to get a little bit further down the line on programming and be like okay i need to go back to that scene and fix that so i'm doing that and then usually they'd be like okay we're gonna go back and start again but they never would give a page number or a line or anything and they'd just jump right back in and so you're like oh 
crap. Yeah. Where okay, am that's I? not where even I? the scene. Back uh, <laughs> in your throat. And sure enough, every time they turned around, and, and uh, it was funny because actually the late great Eric was working a show for me, and uh, he once yelled back at the director. He was like, "We we seem to have two hours per cue for set for uh, lighting, <laughs> but, but you can't give me five minutes to fix something on sound over here." And uh, but the reality was, what was that, the response to that, real quick? Uh, it was. Uh, I want to know. They were actually, I think, a little afraid of him. So oh, it was, it was <laughs> He's not wrong. Here. No. And there was one uh, There was one after fourth or fifth time he turned around and yelled. And it was that exact scenario. And the fourth or fifth time the director turned around and yelled, actor Mike up for that particular actor. <laughs> Eric says, loud enough that everyone in the room can hear it, but where it's under his breath technically still. He goes, yeah, if I hear him say, bring that mic up one more time, he's going to have a size 10 talk Martin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. That's why Eric loved theater. Yeah. The, <laughs> and the whole room went silent. <laughs> it was like, oh. yep. Good on him. Yep. I, I didn't hear that yelled anymore. That that's, that's the thing about theater is that you got to be super flexible. You got to just be able to roll with it and be quick. Mm-hmm. And you got to let. Like if they yell at you for this, you just literally you gotta let it bounce. Yep. And it's really like, I mean, a lot of these gigs are personality, man. Do they like you? Sound designers are are and uh, lighting designers and and all these people are good at their craft, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of these people who do this that are good. If you're but, at that level, you're good, right? Typically. But how do you get more gigs? Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. be an asshole. A lot mm-hmm. of people are hired because they can they just work well, mm-hmm. like. You just made Eric's day, by the way. That's yeah. uh, that's my. He's been saying that, him, by the way. All the time. Uh, if you don't suck, and ten don't times a, a podcast. Yeah, I've been saying that's, that for years. That's, but it, all you really have to do is don't suck. Yeah. and don't be a jerk. Well, you and could, you'll be golden. You could be. You can kind of suck, but be really nice, and people will tolerate you. And you can yeah. be a total dick, longer. but you have to be so good and be like so rare a talent that mm-hmm. people will to- tolerate you. Or you could just be cool and like do your homework and like yeah. Just don't be nice. And I'm of the mentality, I think, like, you know, I don't know. There's, like, the Steve Jobs of the world that were, like, so good at what they did, but they were giant jerks. It's like, I don't know. For me, I just don't want to be around people like that, too. Sure. And so it depends. Some people put up with it because they're so good at their craft, like you said. For me, nobody's worth it. There's not (laughs) a single talent in the world that's worth, like, toxic relationships, toxic energy in the room all the time and everything else. I'm like, you know, I would rather just not do this. I you know we live in florida i'm gonna go surfing instead of doing this like i would so much rather do a million more things than have someone who thinks they're amazing yell at me i have had that i'm an idiot i've had that in theater not tell me i'm an idiot but i've had that experience quite a few times where you're just dealing with a personality that's bigger than the talent and you're like okay like but luckily like i'm like lowest end of the totem pole no one's really like no one's coming after me Right. You know, if they're having a problem with me, the problem's actually much higher up. So, like, whatever. But um, you got to deal with it sometimes. Yeah, and and absolutely. And we deal with it a lot from the uh, touring guy perspective. So, because uh, we're a local or regional provider. So, we'll get the, uh, the lighting guy in that, you know, thinks that the venue should be condemned and he shouldn't have to be there that night. Yeah. We've literally had a guy saying that. He's like, okay, that's great. However... Everyone here wants to get paid today. Exactly. So we're not shutting the show down because you didn't like the lack of marking at the stairway. Like, it's just not happening. Like, and he was totally right. That particular venue should have been condemned. But fact of the matter is, it wasn't. We're having a show. Yeah. 
move on. Just two jobs. And, sound you know, the whole time he had to tell us, <laughs> yeah, two jobs out there. <laughs> but Light man. In, in the end, it's like, oh, man, you don't have to be a jerk the whole time. But for us, you know, the way we approach it is, well, we try as much as possible to de-escalate, kill with kindness, you know, and take that approach rather than pushing back. There are some times where you have to stand up for yourself and push back a little sure. bit and be like, no, no, you're not going to talk to us like that, man. Or, you know, that's we had one where recently where <laughs> one of our guys was saying, hey, you know, suggested, hey, we should ride the console up this way and then flip it because the stairway is a little weird or whatever. And the touring guy comes up and starts yelling at him. Oh, no, what are you idiots doing and calling him names and stuff? And then, uh, and then he said something like, why is it every time I come to Florida, I get a bunch of retards oh, or man. something like that? Wow. And so my guys that's, put the console down and walked away. And I fully give them license to do that. It's mm. like, I, you, your job is to be there to help them. No one has to sit there and be like abused and disrespected at that level. And they, my lead on the show told them, hey, when you're ready to act like an adult, we will work our butts off for you. But we're not going to be called names and we're not going to be like and they, they just they actually just went around and around with this. And it was like, you know, you really this could be a much better day for everybody if you just came in, recognize we all have a common goal and a common job to do. And we all want the band to sound as good as they can and the audience <coughs> to get as good an experience as they can. And in the end, we all want to get paid. You know, the band wants to do a great job and be invited back in the future and ask for more money if they want. Very and true. the text Same. we want to work next week you know it's like that's that's all of us and i think the sooner we recognize that i really i have a strong theory that a lot of those behaviors in those touring texts is a confidence thing and is a, a lack of uh, uh what am i looking for lack of confidence um lack of self-esteem and they come in and they've got to show us all us local guys that we're idiots and they're the you know they're the best they're the tour guy and whatever and i see it a lot and honestly for me it's helped a lot too like i used to get a lot kind of i'd used to push back a lot more and be like oh why is this guy such a jerk and you don't have to come here and be such a jerk and then i realized i was like oh, i feel bad for this guy yeah, like he's you go <laughs> city to city and nobody likes you like literally in the entire united states of america nobody likes you that's an awful existence I definitely a lot of position. negative pressure life. I'll tell you from the touring guy's perspective, it's not it's not an easy job, yeah. but neither is your job. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not that I don't know. I don't think it's a I don't think it's a confidence thing as much as it's you go into a lot of places where people give you shit for trying to do a good job. Like I'm not a union basher, but there's a lot of people who are just lazy as hell yeah. and don't want to do anything. They're just gonna phone it in. And do <laughs> More minimum. than that, though, they like it's like it's like the active sabotage of laziness. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're just like, and it drives you crazy. And I think it's easy to fall into that mindset. And I definitely, definitely done this. I've definitely been the asshole. I've definitely been the touring asshole for sure. I've definitely been the hated person. Absolutely. Because yeah. you're tired and you're so upset and like you see, you start to see everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. Everyone as the same. Like, your job is hard. All you have all this stuff to do in a small amount of time, and and like, then you feel like these people are another thing that is harder for you right. to deal An with. An obstacle. Another obstacle. Instead of uh, right, and it's not true. It's like not tr- not. Yeah. It's not true, but some people are like that. Does it? Does it? You know. Uh, <laughs> does it excuse the behavior? Absolutely not. 
Mm-hmm. But it's like, I don't know. That's well, why I can empathize of, with that as well. Yeah. I there's a lot of exhausted people in this business and, and like being tired and long hours and like no recognition. It wears on people and it, and different people handle that differently. And your like your your methodology, your philosophy about this is true. And like it's also an active thing that you have to actively be, you know, like. I want to be a dick right now. You know what I mean? I'm mad and I think this guy sucks. But yeah. like. I'm not this person, and like I, I'm, I don't care this much. Like I'm, you know what I mean? Like right. it's an active process sometimes to like really fight off those demons mm-hmm. when you're like tired and upset, and no one cares. And it's frustrating. <laughs> so we've worked gigs where you know the house provides loaders or even just hands or whatever, and there's a huge difference between uh, when we work at one of my favorite places, the Peabody Auditorium in Daytona, has the best hands around. Like they're always super positive like energetic, helpful. They have your PA flown like basically as soon as you tell them angles. They just fly it. It's done. It's done correctly, safely, right, cabled up. Like you need to give them almost no direction. Just fabulous crew. And then we'll go to other venues that I won't name that <laughs> where they just have guys that are like, are, are you alive? Are you sober? Are you, do you care at all about anything at all in the entire world? Uh, I worked one. We worked one a couple big shows in Miami at a venue where it was, it was literally the place where retired New York stage hands went to like fill up the pasture, and they were all union guys, but they spent more time reading the paper, which also tells you how old they were. They were reading the paper and like sitting with their feet up while they're watching you like <laughs> lift heavy things and push cases by I yourself. Love, I love that. And they will flat out tell you, nah, you got it. Like they'll say stuff like that. I'm like, no, I don't have it. Can you please help me? And then That's they'll crazy. begrudgingly maybe get up or like, I'm not lifting that. We gotta go find the forklift operator. I'll be back. And then they disappear, you know? And we've had events like that. And so, you know, for us, for me, I don't let it greatly phase me. I've got a job to do. I'm gonna get it done do my best i can you know uh but it does suck when you get those those people that Mm. don't care and you know i have a strong philosophy about that too of like if you're doing stuff that you're not passionate about you should find something yeah go do do something else man yeah but being a stagehand is quick money for a lot of people that's why you get a lot of i mean there are a lot of great stagehands out there don't get me wrong and i'm union i believe in the union but at the same time there's a lot of people protected just even in the business union or not who like they just show up and they make more money doing box pushing than you right. would anything. Like it's kind of crazy some places. So I don't know. It's well, a even weird, down here, it's a weird which business. in our market is crazy, but yeah, it's only got twenty-eight to thirty dollars an hour to yeah to unload a truck, and you're going, what? excuse me, yeah, you're making thirty dollars an hour to unload really? a truck? That's insane. <laughs> crazy. You know, you sh- in our market, you can yeah. hire two to three guys to do that for that price. You know, so it's it's interesting. Um, but there, you know, what I like to see is the guys that then, that are union guys, but then take that seriously of like, Hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be an amazing box pusher sure, and I'm going to be, you know, and I'll jump in and help and not have the mentality of like, not my job. Right. You know, have the mentality of like, Hey, how can I help? Or I see you guys struggling over there. Let me jump in on your crew. I don't want to ask for help when I have eight guys, when I have a local crew and Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there pulling a cable. First of all, I probably shouldn't even do it. Like, there's 80 I'll do nothing. Like, this yeah. is your gig right here. Like, I'm not 
beneath pulling any cable, doing wrapping, I could, I do all of it. Don't care. But like, if I'm doing something and I have to be like, hey guys, can you come over here and help me? It should be, what can I do next? This is when when we have a, like when we were at Philip Center, like that was what I learned. Like, this guy, his life sucks. He lives on a bus and he's tired. He's probably gonna be a jerk. But if you go in there and you like. He's like doing something. You probably, if you watch him wasting his time drum, like cabling up a drum set, you'd be like, "Hey, man, I got this." And after this, what can I do next? You have made that guy's day. I love it when people are like, "Well, they show up after they run a cable." A lot of times, you get a guy who's like, "Hey, run this from point A to point B," and then they stand at point P. You're like, "We just started this <laughs> loading, man. There's a truck full of gear. What are you, yeah. what are you doing? Standing over there? That's done. Yeah. <laughs> it drives you crazy." <laughs> <laughs> or they run in the wrong direction. <laughs> they run oh, the wrong direction. Love so, that. <laughs> uh, but well, at least going, they did it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> going back to that, that's basically how you got to be where you are today is by showing initiative at your local venue, yeah. and you had a crew in that one, you know, that wasn't getting along, and they needed some stuff fixed, and you were like, "Hey, I'll do it. I'm on the clock today. Yeah, cool." Actually, I did. I fixed it during my lunch break. Oh wow! Because yeah. I was just bored. It was That's cool. even was like, better. Yeah, are are you guys listening? There, like with the intention of like oh, lunch I'm gonna, break. I'm gonna get on this tour. I didn't, I didn't think I was gonna get a gig from it. Yeah. I never thought that was gonna happen. I've been asking guy touring guys for year four years. How how do I get on this job? How can you hire me, please? Help me get out of here. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, it was just doing something. Yeah. Actually, doing something kind. A little a little resistor going network above and beyond. DB twenty five cable. Going above and beyond because you were bored and you could have gone to Roly Poly and gotten a uh, really terrible sandwich. Oh, Throwback for you there from the Phillips Center days. Is that place still open? I doubt it. Oh, okay. I don't know. I don't think so. Roly Poly. What was that? It was over uh, on like, 34th Street. Wraps? They did like wraps. And, really? Yeah, it was wow. super mediocre, but it was super good. Man, Peter Pit is gone. Great um, 4th of July parties, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I knew people who worked there and they threw like awesome parties. <laughs> so, Shout out to Rolly I can only hate on them so much. <laughs> yeah. Sandwiches aren't great, but you know. No, they weren't. It's all about their dipping sauces, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, you can make any mediocre food good if you dip it in something awesome. Yeah, That's I think true. Uh, most foods are true. just a vehicle for condiments. It's true. Really. Yeah, just an edible spoon. Yeah. We've, we've really <laughs> derailed there, but it's fine. <laughs> the point was. You know, for you, that was really just going above and beyond. Also, besides going above and beyond, just um, you were interested in stuff. Yeah. And I think that stuff really translates in shows. And last episode that you didn't listen to, but also <laughs> it hasn't come out yet. But the last episode we recorded, actually a big focus or emphasis was like, how do you actually get into this industry? Or like, what are kind of some first steps? And uh, for that one, you know, we were I was with you there at that time. Uh, we were working together. And it was really just like being willing to do whatever. I mean, God, how many tables did we set up? And you know, how many times did you clip skirts on a table? I was in just the lobby? gonna talk about that. I hate that. Yeah, I haven't done that in so long. It was awful. <laughs> Me too. I haven't clipped a skirt. Or and God, the great thing great. is, you don't have to. Yeah, I know. Now there are other people on the call to do that. <laughs> when they're all However, broken, it's like, oh man. Yeah, you and you only have like three working clips, but you, you know have an eight foot table to wrap. There, there's a business <laughs> yeah. idea right there. The unbreakable clip yeah. for a skirt. There's got to be a way, better way to do that. There's got to be. Yeah, that's yeah. stupid. Someone out there figure that out, make a million dollars. Yeah. And then give us like maybe know, like a hundred thousand, five percent. That would be good. I don't yeah. know how much okay. the clip business really pulls in, but 
Yeah, especially if they it don't break. Because then you yeah. don't have, you're, you've sold yeah, five. <laughs> yeah. No more. Done. I sold yeah. the case. No yeah. That's Everything why should be any. Never buy pretty durable, but definitely That's why still breakable. Aren't any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want Somebody unbreakable. Got you want True. Like, difficult to break. So, yeah, I mean, copyright patent pending. But that was a big thing. Is like you, you know, I attribute a ton of. I mean, I I really say. So I went to school for technical theater but learned almost nothing compared to my three years at the Performing Arts Center, just actually experiencing multiple Broadway shows. And then for me also, like leadership, I did, I got put into a position of leadership pretty quickly and definitely made like some pretty major mistakes leading and could have done better in some areas. And so even just learning from that and not accepting just like, oh, everyone else sucks, I, you know, going, okay, how can I be better at this? All those things both formed me like, technically but also you know as a leader and as a person really and um so much of that came from just like okay well i've got a i've got eight people on the clock i got 40 tables to set up and i got this and this and you know all these things that are not related at all to what i'm actually interested in and doing sound but how do i get all these things done and get everybody on track and doing what they're supposed to do and those were the type of things that i was able to learn there and a lot of that was just like accepting the position that you're in and making the most out of whatever wherever you're at so if you're an a2 doing whatever you can to you know better the hey how can i come up with a better design where these earpieces aren't breaking all the time so that's at a high level in in what you're doing or it can be you know box pusher number six how can i be more efficient at this or you know how can i just be more available and better when i'm not pushing boxes and i'm on a 30 minute break and i'm sitting here you know, hey, this guy's got a busted caster on his case. Let me just fix it real quick for him. And the next thing you know, you might find yourself on a tour, you know? And, uh, change your life. Major move. <laughs> could change your life. Literally. I don't know what, where I'd be. I was actually contemplating quitting the business. Wow. That point. Well, because there was no upward mobility, you know? Um, at that point. And then that happened. That changed everything. So, mm. what a difference. And again, it was just being... Uh, available and energetic and interested and then willing to work for almost nothing yeah. <laughs> that first tour Helpful. was peanuts but it was like an opportunity and I was like whatever I think I went into debt on that tour um, but it was still totally worth it and meeting playing Ronan who I love and also have a bobblehead of and <laughs> I love that guy to death um, he you know he took care of me because I didn't screw it up so bad. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's really it. I mean, just don't. Don't suck. Don't suck. And don't be a jerk. Don't be a total jerk, you know? Yeah. And, and I would encourage people, I think it is more valuable to go out and bust your hump and work for little to nothing or free than it is the other paths where you go to college and whatever else and you end up in a pile of debt for school and then you're sitting around still <coughs> just trying to have your resume compete with other resumes when, as you know, like you just, you have met people and then they introduce you to people or this yeah. new show is opening and they say, hey, Matt, you did that last show for me. You want to do this one? And, you know. There's a lot of that. There's a ton of that. Also, like it's harder to do a job for little to no money if you're so in debt that you absolutely can't do that. Like I yeah. need money. It's like I wasn't in that position. You have a I big old student loan with nine percent interest. Yeah, Ooh, it's gosh. tough. You know, I didn't that 
wasn't my route. Not to say that there are great theater schools. There's great mm-hmm. sound schools. I mean, there's I'm nothing not against any of that. College yeah. as a general Absolutely. concept. I, yeah. Like I did learn quite a few things in college. Um, it just I'm kind of at a place that saddens me that people go into so much debt when I think most people with our industry in particular, most people would be better served just to go work for go free for somebody yeah, or sure. cheap. Go doing and it and just go, you know, go work for. <coughs> 50 bucks a week on some tour but they feed you and you sleep in a bunk for yeah. free you know like you know i think when you left out you were like oh, i'm selling my honda civic yeah. and uh, <laughs> anybody want to buy a djembe i think yeah. i bought your djembe oh yeah sold, well that was a different reason i sold everything because uh, there was a girl and everything went south right before i left so I <laughs> get rid of it all i did and yeah. it was it was freeing in all those ways um yeah. yeah, but then you were it freed you to take off on tour. You didn't yeah. have all your physical stuff anymore. You went out, you cut your teeth, you learned, and then you had opportunities. And now you're in a position where if you want a djembe, you can go buy one. Yeah. Everyone, I've always said, everyone has to eat shit for a while. Yep. You just got to get in there and you got to eat. Got to get a big spoon. You got to eat that shit, man. Yeah. Fear factor. You just got to do it, man. <laughs> because... No one, no one just like shows up and is the best and has the greatest gig and mm-hmm. gets paid the most money. Like you gotta work your way up. I don't, you know, you don't. If you think that you're above working your way up, I don't know what to tell you. Mm-hmm. You're wrong. <laughs> well, I like, uh, I and I still. So I, I try to remind myself of this too. Like, regardless of where we get, like as a company or as an engineer or whatever, my accomplishments are our accomplishments. Um, you're still. You're also only as good as your last at bat. So. It doesn't matter how good you are if you go out and you do a terrible job or you start pe- treating people terribly or whatever the case is um, it, it really means nothing you have to you have to keep going out there and as you rise up as you eat shit for a while then yes you get the honor and privilege of then saying no to some stuff and saying hey that's I'm not gonna do that anymore because I'm worth this much money or whatever um, it's interesting I'm seeing a lot of people tell me they're worth more than they're worth these days kind of there's a lot of um well there's a a lot of people trying to skip those steps and the the shitty period and you can't skip them i think it's really important and not just you you won't get there without going through and wading through those steps you'll never actually get there like some people have harder paths than others for sure but i think you're really not going to get there if you're just smooth sailing the whole way and you have to have some adversity and some difficulties if you really, you know, want to make it anywhere in this industry or any other. And yeah. even if you make it, you might still have to eat shit again. Yep. <laughs> it's, there's nothing, there's no guarantees. But at least you're like, prepared. Yeah. At I least mean, you're prepared for the long haul. And I think, <clears throat> I think actually everyone in life is going to be presented with that opportunity that they dream of. They may not know it. For instance, that may have been yours. Yeah, maybe no, not. I had no idea. That I, maybe I not. Like, but you're gonna be yeah. presented with that opportunity, and if you are not prepared, it will have come and gone. Mm-hmm. You'll never know it. Some people, and I mean, it's it's just like you said. It's better to be prepared, find somewhere, not be so into yourself early on. There are some people I feel like who may have earned the right. A lot of times those people aren't even the most arrogant people, but at some point you have to humble yourself, get down, take your spoon, (laughs) you know, because you're going to be presented with the opportunity, whether you know it or not one day, and you can piss it all away. And well, 
and you can you can create that opportunity for yourself again <laughs> by being bad at it or having a problem. Or, I mean, honestly, we're a good economic crash away from me having to let go of three or four employees and get out there and start mixing a lot more shows again myself. Because yeah. I, I don't mix a lot of shows now. I mix the ones I really want to or when we have holes in the schedule and I need to. And um, well, I still enjoy mixing, but I'm just I'm more valuable to our company and to myself as uh, more sales, admin, kind of <coughs> engineering the ship rather than engineering shows. And um, so I also recognize and know that, again, we're one economic crash away from me having to get back in there and get my hands dirty and be behind the console so that I don't have to sell or mortgage away everything that I've purchased while times were good, you know? <laughs> and so I can keep paying bills and I can Very keep my true. building and my gear and everything else because it always ebbs and flows. It comes and goes. I started my business like right before giant economic downturn and I wasn't, I wasn't fully in. I taught school. I taught elementary school for a while and it was great and I had great experiences and actually it informed and shaped who I am and a big part of my business success was because it was a side hustle, I think, and because I had to kind of grow it and nurture it and work extra, extra hard to get it off the ground. I could, you know, borrow or raise money or anything else. And so through that and through that organic growth really built us to where we are. Um, but again, it's, it could all go back there in a heartbeat or, I mean, honestly, I'm one bad decision away. I'm one, uh, one of my employees doing something incredibly stupid and causing major damage or injury or death. Especially away. in this world of social media. Yep. Wrong thing said. Well, yeah. it's, it's on camera. It's butt backline. Boycott butt. Boycott butt. Boycott butt. Hey, whoa, slow down, man. Slow down. <laughs> Good to see. Getting nervous. Turn around. Right, right. But in the same respect, I mean, you know, I trust I have what well, we got nine or ten guys on yeah. consistent payroll. So either full time or, you know, part time enough to be almost full time. And any of those guys, I put them in positions to make decisions where they could seriously hurt somebody if they did something wrong or made the wrong call. Mm -hmm. um, anything else. And it could it could end us, you know, and recognizing that that, um, you know, basically you're one small move or step away from having to start at the beginning. Some of that, though, I. I don't view that as a bad thing, as a scary thing, anything else. I view it as, like, it kind of reminds me in a lot of ways and keeps me humble of, like, okay, I'm not, no matter how much I think I made it or anything else, I, you know, again, I could all be gone tomorrow. It's, I'm just, I'm really grateful and living out of a place of gratitude that I get to do what I love every single day of the week. You know, even the drudgery, it's like this is part of something mm -hmm. that I love. Right. And, uh, you know, I'm extremely blessed to be um, to have a successful business in doing something that I love and that I'm passionate about and that would be my hobby if it wasn't my profession. And, uh, you know, so we're all uh, we're all fragile in that way. And I think that's important to remember. And I think that I think that overall, that'll really help you not suck and not be a dick if you really kind of focus in on that of like. Man, this could be my last show tonight. Also, this is a pretty cool job. It I is. Mean, it is. This is a cool job that we all have. Gosh, <laughs> you could be like a stockbroker or something. You I mean, you know what? <laughs> that's your passion. Money, totally cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah Working totally. finance, make a million dollars. I don't care. 
but for those of us in here that are like geek out over microphones and you know yeah. how to <laughs> frequencies and things like that that's like torture doing that stuff working right. ha- working with uh, having to wear a tie and going to work oh, like every a, day uh, that sounds awful to me i don't know uh, we were at, uh, I had every my, day yeah <laughs> i had my kids at the no. uh at the cave museum <laughs> i wear this to work it's great <laughs> they had this cool like gainesville tie and i was like oh that's so cool if I ever wore a tie in my <laughs> entire life. <Yeah. laughs> Not for me. Yeah, I haven't no, worn a tie in years. I wear basketball shorts and a t-shirt to work almost every day. That's right. I put on those long pants for the show. So, you know, <laughs> jeans or black jeans. Call you know? it. Call it. Call it a day. Uh, but for some people, that's not the path. And, you know, so it's really finding that passion. And, and even within our industry, it's finding that passion. You know, some. Um, some people don't get as lucky either. No, some people really would to want do to do things too. I mean, to do right these kinds of time. things is their passion, but they have to do other things. Absolutely, for and many I, different reasons. So, so I have a family. I taught elementary school. I had, you know, a salary, a consistent salary, <laughs> and benefits, and I mm-hmm. answered my phone on lunch breaks. And I got up uh, the last two years I was teaching. I got up at. 5 a.m. ish every day. I had to be at I had to be at my job at seven, but I would get up at five, return emails, pump out estimates and, and invoices, things like that. So I was up working, and that's what I had to do because I was in a position that I couldn't just. I wasn't 22 years old and single. I had mm-hmm. to. I had a wife and two kids at that point, and I said, you know, I have to. Yeah, I gotta. Yeah. Check some certain boxes and make sure everyone's provided for, and that's the life I've chosen. And uh, when I finally made the transition from doing that and this business as a side hustle was when uh, basically I did the math and I had paid other people the same amount that I made teaching to go <laughs> do my gigs for me, you know, to cover this stuff that I couldn't cover because I was teaching. And, and uh, when that delta evened out, that was when I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and make the transition. This I'm not time. scared. It's the old, uh, I waited till the, the boat got pretty close to the dock to jump. It wasn't <laughs> right. all the way there, but it wasn't too far either. That I, So I was able to actually make the leap and uh, move that direction. And, you know, so a lot of that's timing. And then, you know, not to be arrogant or weird, but like a lot of it, I, I was smart about. I didn't overstep what I was able to do at particular times. And um, God, that was so arrogant and weird. Yeah. <laughs> It's weird talking about yourself or being no, like, hey, I'm awesome at this, you know, like, and a lot of it, a lot yeah, of it's you should tiny, feel good about what you've done. Tiny, That's very true. Your little empire, and it's awesome. You're doing great. It's so cool. It's actually, I, I love hearing, like, I didn't, I don't know the minutia of the details, and it's it's super interesting, the whole thing. And neither do way, I. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, right? the way you transition, it's really smart, too. I, like, I've, I don't own a business. I never have, and, like, the idea of, like, getting out of the public world and into your own private you know, the private sector, that was, you know, that's, you're like, oh, I don't need to pay someone to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I can do this. Well, and I would encourage people that, like, if you've got a side hustle you're working on, whether it's in this industry or another one, like, I just work it and work it and work all those extra hours you have and don't watch Netflix, like, work on your computer for a little bit. And if it really matters to you, because if it really matters to you, you'll put the time and effort into it. This really matters to me. And this was such, like, a burning passion that, I wanted to do it so badly that I sacrificed five to seven a.m. Everyone mm. else was sleeping. I got up and got after it. And um, you know, it's not. Uh, I like the analogy of like, uh, I've started not, not 
here. I'm getting a little. I've started working out a lot in the last year and a half, and for years. Doesn't he sound ripped? I know. <laughs> but wait till you see this video. No, you've got. <laughs> you get no results until you actually get out there and do push-ups every day, right? Like you can read about push-ups and you can think about push-ups and all these things, but until you actually get out and pump out some push-ups, you're not. Very you don't true. get anywhere, and you have to do that every day. And I think it's the same for those either trying to change industries or do a side hustle or whatever else it is. You have to get reps in. You have to practice. And so as an engineer, that might mean find a church that you like and go volunteer to do sound for the next two years, three years, and get reps in at rehearsal and Sunday mornings every single week for the next two years. And you know, and in between each week, read up as much as you can. There's mm-hmm. a million Facebook forums and everything else. Try new stuff. Watch YouTube videos. That's the type of stuff you do if you actually really want to transition and, um, you know, get into the industry or become an engineer or become a lighting designer, all these things. That's, I think, the way you do it other than just, you know, if you're in a position, you're young, single, whatever, you can jump in and work for nothing or close to nothing and just, you know, get around the people you want to be around mm-hmm. and work for them. Um, you know, otherwise, find ways to, to get reps in. You know, again, it's just like working out. If you don't do the reps, you won't make gains. And same with if you're not out there mixing shows, if you're not out there programming lights, if you're not doing these things, you you won't get better because you don't and have you're opportunities. You're going to screw up a lot of shows. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're going to screw up so many shows. I you screwed are. up so many shows. I had so many shows. I, with s- I still screw up shows every now and then. Wailing feedback from the monitors, you know? And you're going, <laughs> oh, God, oh. And now BJ can attest. I can call out frequencies like, you know, before they, like, as they start to whistle. I'm like, 1K, pull it down. Yeah, you he know? did and do that to me, guys. It was pretty He's just like, really? I, I was blowing BJ's mind. He's like, oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. And he's pulling them down. I'm just standing there at the mic. And we were it's outside, nothing particularly too, so fancy. frequency didn't last too long. It's nothing particularly no fancy. Resonance. But just like, again, done it so many times. <laughs> yeah, I've had fine. to solve that problem so many times that I now know, like, that's... You know, the woo frequency. Yeah. Yeah. And feedback is something if you're at a gig that's not yours and you start to hear it, you feel like trauma for that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. There's uh, a rough day. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, it happened. It can handle even the most prepared modern engineers going to get, you know. the There's one that's, that's uh, you know, recorded into Annals of Time on the Nirvana Unplugged album. There's a song with a little bit of feedback. Oh, it happens nice. really quick. I can't remember which song it is, but and that's like literally the biggest stage in the world at that particular time. Yep. Wow! And the biggest band in the world, the biggest stage in the world, the biggest network in the world. And there's a little. And it's, it's recorded. Yeah, it's and recorded. there's it's it's not going anywhere. Every time I hear the song, I'm like, I just uh, oh man. And <laughs> I think and about we it. all know Every those engineers it. are not slouches. Oh, no. no. Like, well, those guys are probably the those best are in the business at like the time. Like top 10 engineers <laughs> in yeah. the business at the time got that call, got that gig. Of course. And were amazing engineers. And something still happened. Kurt Cobain changed guitars last <laughs> minute and decided he wanted to go to this other one. Something. Or whatever. Or he leaned in a little bit or whatever happened, happened. And, you know, he got the old woo. And then next thing you know. Yeah. You hear it every time, it, every single time you listen to that record. I'm going to have to listen <laughs> to that record now. <laughs> yeah, I am too. I'm yeah. <laughs> I gotta get That's the that. thing. Most of the shows that you're going to do and, and get the woos on, they're not recorded. 
yeah. or going to be played back by anyone that matters True. anyways. Also, most people, other than you're the one freaking out about it. You're the one and the band. As, lo- lo- as long as it doesn't last long or happen all the time. Like, yeah. One time, no one's, you know. I, you you yeah, can you make really bands kinda... very uncomfortable. And sure. that's unfortunate because that actually affects the energy and the performance and everything else. So that's one of the big things of like, if you're a monitor engineer, if you can get the band as comfortable as possible and mm-hmm. where they feel like they're hearing what they should be hearing and all those things, it really, that does affect the outcome of the show i think a lot because sure. it affects the energy when they can't hear it's they get yeah Very and they true. start saying fix it mr sound man or it's the worst thing when it's immature bands as well it's just a big mess when the bands are not really that professional so you're dealing with bands who don't really understand they they've turned up their volumes past what they were set at sound check and now they're getting feedback and you can't Go try to rescue them because you're focused on front of house now. It's I the worst. That happens. Yeah, I'm professional kidding. band. I'm totally kidding. But I do remember <laughs> a time that, that you shoved the 58 into the horn of an Eon in the middle of a mall. <laughs> so, you know, we've had that happen. I've had, we've had all of these things that happen. That's funny. Yeah, Everyone we've had a lot it. of things The DJ, happen. you're like, you're clipping now. So just like, whatever you're doing, don't get it, yeah, make it worse. Oh, now you're worse. Yeah. Great. Cool. So the gain knob at the top that you grab. Do your job, sound man. Do your job. Why does a DJ job? have a gain knob? They should not. Yeah. No, of course not. They should not. They also, should have a volume. Why would you do that? You remember walking into a club? Clubs like sounds bad in here. You go up to the little DJ booth, and the graphic, everything's <laughs> everything's all the way up. All the way up. Yeah. You've essentially turned up the volume. Yeah. In a really weird That's way. That's all you've done. In a yes, very weird it, way. Yeah. With fa- have you ever phase ruined the <laughs> phase Have you wise? ever fixed sound in a bar or a club when you were not invited to? Oh, man. That's a good one. Um, no. You know what? I've wanted to. Okay. But oh, the urge is strong. <laughs> <laughs> when you're at a show have that sounds bad... Uh, no, I actually have... Maybe one time, actually, when it was at Tim and Terry's, and a guy had no idea what he was doing, and he had 58s on, uh, over the cymbals. <laughs> that's, like, that's a telltale sign. Over. And the, also that place oh, It was in need, the small room yeah, in Tim and yeah. Terry's? It didn't, it, also, it didn't need overheads anyway. Also, right. you don't even Much need a drum less. set. Put the drums in the yard. The yeah. place yeah. is way too loud. But um, I was like, hey, turn those mics off. That, that's, most of the time... Yeah... The first time I saw Book of Mormon was actually the uh, the first preview. A buddy of mine had moved to New York, and I'd got on some shop work. He was not like a Broadway guy. And he's like, I want to repay you. I got these tickets to this show. Uh, my girlfriend can't go. Do you want to go to the show? I was like, yeah, what show? And he like opens his wallet, pulls out his ticket. He goes, totally not a Broadway guy. He goes, the Book of Mormon? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I look at the ticket. <laughs> Hardest and was, ticket in Broadway. Yeah, it was yeah. first preview. This is The show hadn't even oh, opened wow. yet. So yeah. like. I was like, we're going to this. This is awesome. So we go, and like, um, I mean, I know all the guys who work on the show. The show starts, Hello is the first song, and RF noise crackling. And like, you can tell the mixer is just swiping things out. Where is it coming from? Can't stop, can't stop, can't stop it. They stop. They stop the show. And it's like, instinct is to turn around for everyone. (laughs) But like, I know that feeling. And I and like I was with my buddy and I like grabbed him. I was like, "Don't turn around here. Don't just please. let them do Basically. whatever it is they do." And like, it, the God mics that the 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 directors and the producers and whoever use throughout the production, they're always on. They're safe 
in the console, so like you cannot turn them. You can't. They're not. They in flip a seat. the switch and they talk. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the batteries ran out, <sighs> so the frequency it was on. The frequency was just open, mm. and it was on a different layer. Oh, so, and it's New York, it's Broadway. Oh, geez. so just if, yeah, it's like whatever's strongest thing came in, boom. <sighs> so, shit happens. But just don't look at the sound in. <laughs> Leave them alone. Yeah, so Leave them alone. I had I can't remember what it was. I have a pretty strong policy about like just letting it be. Yeah. And so even if I'm like squirming and like, oh gosh, it sounds horrendous, I haven't been hired to be the sound guy <clears throat> yeah. that night. So I'm exactly. a, I will be a jerk if I go up and start telling the guy how to mix. Mm-hmm. And that guy doesn't know who I am from right. anybody How many else, people have so. come up to you and said some stupid stuff you're before? Exactly. And you're not going to be I'm not going to be that guy. Let me get out of your way and you get right in Yeah, go you're, ahead. Never, go ahead and mix. Ever, 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 ever. So I did have – I'm trying to remember what – I don't even remember what the show was. But I did have one where the guy was getting a lot of feedback. And he was clearly having a very difficult day. And I did – I walked by the booth and just kind of casually was like, <laughs> hey – I'd recommend roll all your high-pass filters up and then maybe roll out around 250, put a big old notch on all those mm. vocal mics because he was getting a whole bunch of like low-end rumble feedback. And a couple minutes later, it was all gone, and I'd give myself a big pat on the back. <laughs> I was like, all right, I helped the brother out. All right, yeah. And you did it in a way that wasn't like – didn't make the guy's night worse. Yeah, and it was definitely like – Hey man, because that's not easy. Because that's a stressful you. time. Because yeah. I also tried to do it as a like, you do you. You might try some high pass filtering and you know notch at two fifty. And then when you say that too, like the guy's gonna be, he's yeah. also like, this isn't okay, a punter. Nervous, this isn't right. some random dude. Like, yeah. oh okay. And then sometimes it's like, oh crap, yeah, I forgot to turn on the high pass filters. I had them all rolled in, but oh okay, right, not on. yeah. So it may have also been just that like. You know, we might have missed something. It was they didn't get sound check or whatever else happened, and you know, there was no reason for anybody to be a jerk. And it still didn't sound good. The dude still sucked at his job. <laughs> but, you know, you helped him. Who knows? Yeah, no, and and it was also, I'm sure it was at a small venue or a little street festival, and dude's getting paid like eight bucks an hour. It's you're getting a dollar an hour yeah. product, and. Again, that's the type of places we cut our teeth and where we stick our yeah. 58 million mm-hmm. horn of an E on. You, you might know? have just taught someone who didn't know anything something. Yeah, Unless or at least where to start, you know? I didn't learn what a compressor was until after I needed it. The whole show I wrote. The first show that Eric Ross let me do at the console on my own, he's <laughs> like, I'm not coming in for this, was Sinbad. Oh. The first celebrity show. Wow. Were you there? I paged the uh, curtain for him, oh, and I good. gave him his opening joke. <laughs> <laughs> no Are joke. You I'll let you finish your that was my, thing, that was my and then first I'm going to one-up you. And I, um, so it's one mic. There's no music. There's yeah. no intro, nothing. And he, you know, he's an explosive yeah. show. He's like loud, quiet, whatever. And I'm just writing him. That's what we do <laughs> in theater, actually, is we, yeah. we write everything all the time. But um, – I was like, man, it was so much work, and I would like, you know, tried really hard. I wanted it to sound good. I was like, guys, so loud. Oh, it's quiet. And I was like, the whole, like I don't know how long that set was, but it felt like an eternity. And then the next, it was day, over an hour for sure. Yeah, yeah. it was long. And the next day, I remember telling, he's like, how'd it go? I'm like, oh man, it's good, but it, 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 there was only a way that you, <laughs> like, you know, to where it's like he gets kind of loud, and I like, I would have to pull him down. And he's like, yeah, see this whole rack of stuff over here. Today we're going to learn about compression. I'm like, oh. <laughs> that makes so much more sense. So my Sinbad story, same show. 
is uh, I stage manage that show, but I ended up I was the person who just basically pulled the curtain back. He walked through it and I put it in. So he comes up a co- like maybe a minute or two. The uh, student government or accent or whoever it was that was presenting the show, that kid goes out first and he comes up and he's like future politician, 19 year old kid in a ridiculously expensive suit. And he's like, oh, hi, Mr. Sinbad. And like, he's just super robotic. <laughs> Mr. Sinbad. And yeah, he, he goes on stage and I'm standing there with Sinbad and I'm like, that's uh, future governor of Florida right there. I made some joke about him being like, you know who the politicians are or right. something like that. He walked out. He made it way funnier, yeah. like infinitely funnier. Stole your joke? No, he didn't steal my joke. He ripped on my joke. Oh. He took my joke and made it infinitely better. And I just remember, I was actually backstage while you were out front, like arm pumping. I'm like, sit back, use my joke. I'm the funniest person ever. Except for he made it way better. I was so pumped. That's that really he was funny. My Sinbad. Like, what? I bet you everybody died laughing. He too. was. Uh, What's going on with Sinbad? By the time we were doing that show in the early 2000s, he was definitely irrelevant. Yeah. As far as popular. Yeah. Culture. I think, you know, those President, people, they President's still son? do like small tours and stuff. Remember the movie he did? President, President's son or. That was a good one. Something yeah, like that. Yeah, he was like, uh, wasn't he like a. Uh, President's uh, dickhead son. He was his bodyguard. Yeah, yeah he was the bodyguard. Yeah, like the Secret Service. They had that montage where like kids hit him with a spitball and he like. Gets a giant paper towel roll and hits yeah. him in the face of spitball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So corny, man. <laughs> <laughs> See, yeah, it was, it was old. Yeah, it was and totally he was awesome. in uh, Jingle All the Way or whatever with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Wow. Right. He was, yeah, he was like the villainous guy, also looking for the toy, and they were going at it. That's anyway, funny. You had that. That's yeah. so yeah. funny. I was a child, man. I was man. A I had kid when he was popular. I had a great. Yeah, we all before. were. Yeah. <laughs> like guys, man. I think thirty-six. Oh yeah. Yeah, all kids. That was the same year I picked up Yo-Yo Ma from the airport, oh, yeah. and I had no idea who Yo-Yo Ma was, and mm-hmm. I was the runner, and really? I went to pick him up, and he actually sat up front. I was in, like, the van or whatever, you know, and they always sat in the back. And but he's like, not weird. He's like a normal. He's like a, he sat up awesome front. Person. We chatted the whole time, and then I looked him up after the show, and I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like the most famous and accomplished cello player on the planet. <laughs> We and mic'd, he's a super cool dude. Yeah. We mic'd his. He had just a little amplifier because he needed a little bit of stage presence. Um, and we mic'd it. He goes, do we need to mic it? And I was like, he's like, let's do it. I'm like, all right. So we mic it. And I'm like sitting back. And I'm like, all right, let's go back a couple rows, a couple rows, see how it sounds. And Yo-Yo Ma goes, how does it sound? He's like, and he's, the fact that he asked me, yeah. <laughs> like that he cared about my opinion. Yeah. I knew who he was. I actually like kid. looked this guy up. I was like, Yo Yo Ma, who is this guy? Before he yeah. came, and I was like, it's What like, is this a rapper? Yo Yo Ma. <laughs> didn't end up, we didn't end up putting in the PA. I don't believe we didn't need it, but it was no. Like, he was being, just like being the coolest felt, guy, like, heard and exactly. seen by this, just this, down to earth, this totally person. talented, wonderful man. Again, just that chatted happens. me up. Yeah, I was a young kid. I had probably nothing interesting to say at all mm-hmm. i probably told him my sinbad story you know from a week <laughs> before and we uh we rode to the venue and he's just a super cool guy very interesting you know do you ask me if uh a question uh or on the you texted me about the i just thought of this sorry the thing that you thought you'd get fired or whatever oh yeah yeah so what uh this was not was... sound this is the first thing i did in theater okay at the phillips center uh, the um, Miss Saigon. Were you that there then? I don't it was this so. before you. I started very shortly after you. But so this was in the Saigon. very beginning, mm-hmm. like 2003. 
and I wasn't doing sound. I was just doing anything. I was just happy to be on the stage and just be in this place. And they were like, you're going to be our prop guy. They were there for a week, and they had <laughs> M16. They're real M16s and real AK-47s. They're just, like, blocked off. And they're like, you're going to hand these out. And I was like, this is the coolest job ever. <laughs> America! Hot dancing girls and guns. And, like, I was so cool. And, like, he, the prop guy's like, there's also a 45 that shoots blanks. And I'm like, this is awesome. I was 20 oh, years old yeah. and probably stoned out of my mind. And so um, he goes, the fire marshal and the police chief are going to come, and i got to fire this thing off, the handgun off, because it's just standard procedure. They see that it's blanks and, like, that it's safe or whatever. And we're going to go out back and, like, with the operations manager. I said, well, can I shoot it? Can I be the one? He's like, yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all out there. It's like the chief of police or fire marshals, a bunch of very official people. Uh, and I believe it was Matt, uh, our operations manager. And I don't know. There was everyone important was there. And he hands me this gun with two rounds in it <laughs> and they're talking and I'm supposed to wait, I'm sure. But I, I did not. I just like pointed it off into the parking lot and went blam blam and it is it's a 45 with blanks in there they're louder than normal rounds it's all pop and they went like they like jumped and (laughs) a guy like grabbed onto me he could have killed me that guy would have strangled me to death in that moment if he could what were you thinking? I don't what know. Man? I had no idea. I was excited. I had a gun and people were watching. I don't know. I get to shoot. I was like, yeah. bam, And then I probably said, like, that was cool. I probably oh. said that. Oh, no. <laughs> that could have been the first and last day of my theater career, but it wasn't luckily. So. Yeah. That was cool. You're fired. <laughs> get out of here, you moron. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. That made tears come out of my eyes, man. That's funny. Uh, God. That's a good one. I wish I knew who that guy was. I'd love to see what if he remembers that uh, horrible. The funny. reason he never hands a local a gun. <laughs> a twenty year old guy. Yeah, a twenty year old. Yeah. Well there's a million You're reasons. supposed to wait till we say we're ready. <laughs> really? It's over. I thought handing me the gun meant you're I ready. I thought I was ready, yeah. <laughs> like, that's typically it, right? All right, well, let's wrap up. We're, uh, we've been going at it a while. I think we definitely have uh, two episodes here. Yeah, oh, cool. part so, one, part yeah. two, huh? Yeah, episode three and four, so we're really going to milk it as much as possible. Matt, thank you so much for uh, stopping by tonight. Thanks, thanks for having for, me. Yeah, thanks for sharing all the fun uh, Broadway backstory stuff. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll do a phone one sometime from Chicago when we get a chance. But. From the shy. Yeah. Man, what is it cold there right now? Right now it's. 50 degrees, actually. It's totally oh, wow. fine. 100 degree swing in weather in a week. It was like negative what? 50. Yeah. With wind chill. Actually, it was negative 20. Oh, man. Oh, Still yeah, really, 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 really cold. <laughs> Way to go, Chicago. <laughs> really, really, really cold. <laughs> I have He's a bunch of Chicago. ski masks. Yeah. You know? It's cool. Right on. Well, thanks for listening to the Cheerful Sound Man podcast. Thanks again, Matt, for coming. And until uh, next time, don't suck. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's the sign off. Don't fire the gun. Yeah. Wait till they Don't see. fire the gun prematurely. Don't give a 20 year old handgun. That was up. cool. Man, if you really said that, I don't know that would happen. <laughs> I'm sure I said something. That was cool. No, dude, he was an idiot. Oh, yeah. Long hair. We, remember, Stupid. we started, we would do uh, like talk like a pirate day, and this was before it was like a national holiday or Oh, whatever. really? Yeah, we would just decide. 
one day that we were just going to talk like pirates all day. And he'd be like, I remember, I distinctly remember pushing a genie lift and Matt and I being like, Arrgh, it's time to go. And we're just, I got, I got nervous all day long. <laughs>